was the Captain Phillips situation one of these time crunches? No. No? No, that dude, he went, you know, they were like two seconds from... <laughs> plus, he saw, his two buddy, he saw his two buddies shit all over the inside of that fucking little dinghy. <laughs> so, that goes what, pretty quick. What happened? Can you take us through that story? We never talked about that one. What's cooking, everybody? I am joined in the bunker today by the most requested guest we have ever had on this podcast, and that is my good friend, Special Agent Jim DiOrio. If you are not familiar with Jim, he was here for episodes 48, 73, and 74. 73 and 74 were supposed to be one podcast, but we were there for six hours, so we made it two. And he is an absolute pleasure to listen to. The guy's one of the best storytellers I've ever heard, and his career has been insane. If you don't believe me, check out his bio. I have it all written in there, at least the high-level high details, and you guys can get the idea. Today, at the beginning of the second timestamp, so about 20 minutes in, we got deep on Jim's buddy, Mark Esper, who previously was the Secretary of Defense under Trump. And just wrote a book about the whole thing. So we had a nice long conversation there. And then, of course, there were a lot of great stories, as always. And Jim even went pretty deep into his undercover work at the FBI, which is something he hasn't previously discussed much because there are things he can't discuss. He wanted to make sure he was comfortable to be able to say things correctly without going into things he's not supposed to. And I thought he did a really, really good job. So I hope you guys enjoy. If you haven't heard Jim before, you're in for a treat. Check out those other episodes. And if you're on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button on the video and as always would love to hear from you in the comment section as well to everyone who is on apple or spotify thank you for checking out the show there if you haven't already be sure to hit the follow button on either one of those platforms and leave a five-star review if you have a second that is a huge help i look forward to seeing you guys again for future episodes that said you know what it is i'm julian dory and this is trend fire let's go this is one of the great questions in our culture where's the news Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. Hank fucking Schrader. <laughs> What's up, man? What's going on, man? Back again in the bunker. Let's go. You are the most requested guest in here by far. And there's if, there's a few now, but you are you're the guy that's always like, When's Jim coming back on? If When's they he coming? Only fucking knew me, they would never request <laughs> me. But we'll be fun to hang out. We'd we'd have a good time. You have like a little online not a little, you got like a big online fan club now. Yeah. People are like Jimmy D, FBI Jim. I, I wanna you think they'll buy my books when we start writing? I think they're gonna have to. Especially because you seem to want to do, instead of your own memoir, you want to do like fictionalized stories on the basis of real shit. And I let think, them figure it out. Yeah. Let I, them figure the truth out. I think people and I can't are get in like trouble. That. Exactly. Exactly. I don't have to pass through all that bullshit, you know, like, hey, let me send it to the bureau so they can review it for 30 years. <laughs> Be fucking dead forever by then. What are you so, writing about so far? Oh, man. I'm just, you know what it is? All right. So, so I hope. Some of the audience is going to love this. Someone's going to be, oh, my God, this guy's soft. you know. But I don't really care because it might turn them on. So I started doing meditation. Um, with, really? Yeah. And, and I, Sheila, you know, kind of talked me into it, um, like we've talked about before, uh, always the guinea pig for something new to use at her nonprofit, right? So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the class. Weird 
you know, weird stuff. I mean, it's like, it's weird, but, and I was as cynical and skeptical as I normally am with anything. You kind of go into this room by yourself with this person, this teacher, older guy. Oh, you went guy. to a place? Yeah. An older dude. And uh, next thing you know, like, I'm like fighting it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, I'm out like a light. 20 minutes. And then I started coming out of it and shit started racing. And the whole deal with transcendental, it's different than your normal meditation. Because normal meditation, you're supposed to just back off. You know, you're supposed to cut every thought. This, No. They want it to flow. How does so you, he get you into it? So basically, you're thinking elevator, right? So you're thinking of going down to the bottom floor, letting all these thoughts come to be, and then as you rise back through, let it happen. Like, no, oh, let me think about why I'm thinking about Richie, my buddy from Belmar when we were six, and how we fell into this lot of uh, new condos being built. Like, just let it go. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. So what I do is I do that for 20, and then I come out and I write for an hour. And the shit I'm remembering that I never would have remembered otherwise is amazing. Oh, so you have drills now, so you can kind of tap into it yourself. Yeah. And so it's wow. a whole routine. So meditate 20, write an hour, jump on the rower. I got the rower right behind my desk. I row for 500 meters. I hop up, and then I let it go. If I can write for another 20 minutes, I do. If I can't, that's it. The day's over. Exercise and physical activity is one of the ultimate keys to unplugging, unlocking creativity and writing, especially like to get in that flow state. When you get the yeah. blood going and you're like, oh, yeah, let me try that sentence. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, what? I'll put that one right there. Like, yeah, it starts to just kind of like it loosens up your whole body. It's and it's it's true for anything, but especially with writing. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And it's great because I'm I'm actually let's say let's say I flow on something for that, you know, hour. And then there's three or four other things that I think about, but I'm kind of like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do it justice if I write about these three or four other things. So I mark them. You know, I have them in there, and I'm like, yep, that's something to come back to. Mm. And I think the meditation has been wonderful. Now, you're supposed to do it um, twice a day for 20 minutes a day. I, it's not practical for me. I, I, I can't. That's a lot. I can't find the time. So you're supposed to do it in the morning, in the afternoon. You're not supposed to do it when you're kind of laying, going, trying to go to sleep. Um, which, you know, at this age, at this point, I, I'm falling asleep. But if I lay down on the couch, it's over. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Like, my, my dog Gary's kind of like, you know, he's licking like, what's I going on? I love that you have a dog on? named Gary. Big Gary. Big Gary. I told you the story about we had a guy come over to repair the furnace. No. Unbeknownst to us, his name was Gary. So we did not know that. Oh, no. So he starts to go down the basement. And Gary follows, our dog Gary follows. So I yell, Gary, get the fuck up here. And the guy, <laughs> the guy turns around and goes, what I do? <laughs> and it was a disaster for everybody. So I'm like, well, you, oh, Gary. my God, your, your name is, okay. Yeah, he goes, well, I introduced you, you know, myself to you. So, <sighs> yes. So there's, Gar you know, big Gary, my, my buddy, my dog is looking at me like, hey, you got that guy. You know, you got him good. <laughs> you know, I just had a fuck with him. So, um, but, yeah, I think that that's kind of. Uh, been eye-opening for me and it lends itself into something else that i've been thinking a lot about and um i, I want to say i saw this quote not long ago i don't know who actually made this statement but what it was is something along the lines of do something a hundred percent for six months and you'll be astonished at the accomplishments yeah. you know at what you can accomplish and that's big for me right now because uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place and, and, and 
not as much shiny nickel chasing as I used to be, but it's kind of, wow, I can focus on that. I can focus on this meditation slash writing really hard for six months and then see where it goes, you know? And I'm going to try to kind of use that kind of, I guess, mantra to move forward in other areas of my life. I'm very excited about it. You, you, you know? sound it. Uh, really you excited about it. it. And I think people, you know. This is a new thing. It sounds for crazy for me. Right, because, I mean, like, you know, you got me coming in here, all the shit. I've done in the past, and then, oh, he's meditating now. You know, and people are going to be like, "That's a strange dude. That's a strange." But, but that's okay. They might. I'd try it. Give it a shot. TM, look at it. Try it for twenty minutes. Really, there's nothing to it. There's no. You don't need to go to the class. Um, you could if you want to. I mean, I'm not getting paid uh, to talk about it. So, but, no, I, I know what you but, mean. But, but ultimately, I would give it a shot. I would give it a shot. Is it something you would have ever considered? during your career and i'm just thinking about like the all the different directions your career had because you were obviously an army ranger there's a lot of crazy shit there i know you're in touch with yourself and and stuff that you unfortunately had to witness and be right next to but also then you know you, you were an undercover agent for part of your years at the fbi you were in some of the highest stress situations with depending on which case it was some stone cold killers this has got to be like I can't relate to that. I never had to do that. I never want to do that. But that's got to be some sort of traumatic track on your life. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't because yes. you're making friends with these people, you know, you and to. then you have huh? to leave it and then remember what a monster they were and all that. And so it seems to me like if I were ever in those kinds of situations, it's hard to imagine not going a little crazy and something like meditation does seem like a life hack that that could help it if you're actually like if you give it a chance and you're in it yeah agreed i think it's a fix i wish i had the capability back in those days to be able to look at something like this and say well let's give it a shot honestly and um you know i, I read it i've read up on it now since and uh, i think it's norwich university up in vermont which is a military college mm. they've actually gone to that as part of their curriculum so they have their core of cadets meditate Wow. And they've done some studies and some research as to not only academic performance, but, um, you know, mental health issues during the pandemic, right? I mean, um, things just along, you know, emotional kind of, uh, I guess, struggles that military folks have because you're you're so often encouraged to compartmentalize everything that happens to you along the way. Um, And it's, the results are pretty astounding. I mean, honestly, it's pretty good. So I wish I did have that tool or at least exposure to that tool especially at west point especially there you know because you really regiment it as to um kind of maintaining an organized lifestyle Mm. and with that as we've just talked about with with that and pursuing something west point for 47 months right comes astounding results or it comes a struggle to just survive so I kind of think about, and that can you, that can lend itself into my military career, that can lend itself into my FBI career, and even life after. And so it's refreshing, you know, to have this this TM, but also to have a little bit of a pattern, you know, the the meditating, the writing, and then the exercise, and then repeat if you can. You yeah. know, uh, I haven't been able to do. Obviously, the meditated meditation is not something you want to do back to back, but. Um, but the other cycles, I've gotten to the point where I'm actually doing two sets, mm. you know, so I, I think about, 
I think my life is becoming something where I'm thinking about sets now, right? At, fi- at 59 years old, uh, the Oreos, we, we just don't, you know, history says you're not going to make it past 75 or 80. Now I'm going to shoot for more than that. Cause I, I really you're going like for it. 120. Uh, definitely. I'm going to go you're as much as I can, <laughs> as much as I can forever. I'm going to be on here. Like, this is episode 6,000. We're, you know, in the middle. Um, but, but I think that if if you look at your life that way, so at six, let's just say sixty years old, right? Right. So I'm hoping for five sets of five. I'm hoping oh, for eighty five. Wow, breaking it down that way. Yeah, five sets of five. Five so sets talk, of five. Talking to my brother, who's ten years older, he says, "Well, I don't. You know, I probably have three sets of five. I said, "Why don't we go five sets of three? This way, we both have sets. <laughs> we both have five sets." And he was like, "I like that. You know." So um, we we were think we were talking about it today. We went to a funeral of a family member who's ninety five turned oh, ninety five yeah. years old, passed away. Right? I mean, lived a great life, and he basically was ready. You know, he was he was definitely ready. He was ready to go. He had done everything he wanted to do. Really good generous kind man with great advice and i looked around his funeral mass today and i'm like wow there's nobody here you know there's no there's no friends there's no colleagues of his there's no peers of his it's family but it's clearly the next generation and yeah they're me. all dead it hit me right yeah. it really but it hit me hard because you know as you know i have, I have a new grand grandson you know? congratulations Thank by you. the way you what's know, his name sal sal salvatore right Fucking so sal. sal is six weeks old and the after the initial, like, oh, my God, and the crying and the typical Italian stuff in the hospital, throwing yourself on the ground, the whole deal, um, I got it together. And then I thought to myself, this kid's going to walk to my coffin. Oh, boy. That's humbling. Yeah. And when you think about, I want to make sure when he walks up there, he says, that's my grandpa. That's my poppy. He's a good dude. Yeah. Right? So it kind of has taken on a new meaning. And my brother and my sister, who wow. are both grandparents, have said something like that, but it doesn't really click until you are. Yeah, there's something you know? about like when you see life come from beyond you, like in your in your lineage, which I've never experienced that, but people are just so clearly changed by it. It's got to be such a beautiful thing. But yeah, I mean, that's really it's kind of a heavy way to put it, but you know, I I think when you're trying to live your life and and I always appreciate you talking about this stuff by the way and working in all the mental health things yeah. too. That's that's worth saying especially after the last time we were on here a lot of people really appreciate that and I knew they would. But like when you're looking at your life it's kind of it's like a mic drop when you can simplify it to something like that. You simplify it in in a funny way to like five sets of five or something with years, but then you also look in the eyes of your new grandson and you're like Oh wow! What do I want him thinking? What do I want him saying during a, what will be a bad day for him? When when you're in that coffin, hundred percent. It's heavy. You know, it's like the Stephen Covey book, the seven what was it, the seven essentials or whatever, the seven qualities of highly effective people. Oh yes, characteristics. Yes, yes. And he his first is begin with the end in mind. Mm. Right. So think about what your wake looks like, what your funeral looks like, and what you want people to say about you. Right. And this five sets of five is a different change for me. And certainly thinking about always thinking about mental health, because we, we have to maintain, um, you know, that kind of pattern of consistency with taking care of yourself. And we've talked about it before. Being kind to yourself. Yeah. Stop hating yourself. There's no reason to. You are what you are. There's no there's no other chance. This is it. So we might as well really figure it out for ourselves. Nobody else is going to figure. We can't worry about what other people think, who they are, what they're doing. It doesn't really matter. You know, sounds simple um, when I say it, but it's a struggle for me. And but I but I stay I stay in the game. You know, if you want to, 
I guess, simplify life as a game, but it really is. You know, you stay in the game and you take all the experiences that I've had along the way in different areas of my life. And now I see, I finally see what that's done for me in this writing piece. Mm. Like it's helped me to not only write stories and chuckle and laugh and think about people in my past that I've known, you know, dead or alive. Um, And I say, wow, there's the lesson in that. Mm. That's what it is. And maybe two years ago, that would have been a completely different lesson. You know, some type of, um, you know, anger or Jesus, Diorio, why didn't you do this? Right. You know, now it's like, well, that's the way it was supposed to be. You know, Mm. it's supposed to happen that way for a reason. And and I think meditation helps that piece as well. Um, That's pretty cool. That's how you should. It's good. And just from my seat, just some asshole giving his opinion, that's how you should look at it. Because like... You know, you were in this stuff for, call it, 35 years straight, you know, nonstop, high octane, highest octane there is at both the Army level and then the government level. And it's like, I'm sure a lot of that went by way faster than you could ever appreciate. And, you know, it's boring at the government, as we've talked about in the past, in the sense that everyone gets the same stupid fucking paycheck. It's not much. And you just kind of do the job. But the people who are in the highest places... The jobs they got to do, the things you had to do are, are pretty insane. And, and I think it would be very simple, not simple, it would be it would be a poor trap to fall into that a lot of people probably do of being a little desensitized to that and not thinking anything of it. And like also hearing you talk about being reflective and all that and having a solid perspective on that is awesome to hear because, you know, people that listen to this podcast – they would never know this, and I love that they would never know this because you're just a superstar on here. But I always got to yell at you off camera because you legit like don't think anything of anything you've ever done. You're way like I love humble people. You're way too humble, and I get pissed at it sometimes because I'm like Jesus Christ, Jim, relax. Like <laughs> I know you not do. a lot of people yeah. do this stuff. Yep. But to see you like even if it's through something like writing, which gets unlocked by meditation, to see you reflect on that a little bit and understand that like, oh yeah, that was some wild shit. Huh. Yeah. Not a lot of people did that. And then you get to put it even through like a little fictionalized version. Who the that, fuck cares? That's exactly it. And, you know, you you make a great point. And I think part of it is that being kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have helped me to be kinder to myself. You know, I'm not where I probably should be or want to be, but it's sure as hell getting better. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important is is to just think about life that way. Let's be kinder to ourselves. You can You can't really treat other people fully you know the way they deserve to be treated until you treat yourself that way Mm, and so you know just thinking about those people in my life that i've known that have gotten that early have established that way of thinking early and looking at their accomplishments not just with their professional accomplishments or what they've done um you know in in the limelight more so what they've done as a person how their families are how their friends are how they, you know, how they actually really, truly are concerned with what other people need, mm. what makes other people tick, and really good at it. And it doesn't matter what age you get it at. You know, uh, you could get it. Some guy, some guys get it. Some people get it as kids. Yeah, truly. You know, it takes some people a little bit longer, and that's okay. Th- there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm, uh, I'm in a really. I'm in a great spot to be able to reflect on things that I've done now and utilize that information in order to just kind of, I guess, subconsciously mentor other people. Mm. Just be around and say, oh, Diorio's, Diorio's okay with that. You know, 
you could, I think I just carry myself a little bit differently. And, and, you know, we're going on five years of retirement. Shit. You yeah, know? Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's a long period of from time. From the FBI, at least. Yeah. yeah. From the FBI. Yeah. You know? And so that's, you're thinking that's what, I mean, going on 250 weeks yeah. roughly of retirement. So that's, I'm going to say that's 500 polygraphs, you know, basically I don't, they didn't have to take it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think things start to loosen up. And then I talk to friends who are still in the bureau, who are still in the military, who are still in in the agency and still doing things. And I think to myself, wow, um, the stuff they're kind of caught up on and in, I was there. Right? Yeah. And I'm able to say to them, stop. Mm. Doesn't matter. You know, there's dopes everywhere. Just because we're supposed to be the knights in shining armor, or you think that your agency is... There's dopes everywhere. Yeah. So just go with that and make that decision that you're going to think about things for yourself. And you're going to fight the battles you need to fight. And you're going to lay back on things that really you can't change certain people. The perspective of the outside. Exactly right. You know who it's else? It's a beautiful thing. You know who else has some perspective of the outside now? Your buddy. Oh, yeah. It's written on your mug right now, your buddy, Defense Secretary Esper. No doubt about it. What what is going on there? So I, I and full disclosure, I know you've read the book. It just came out. If for people yeah, that don't know, he was under Trump and then was fired right after Trump lost the election, like before his term was up. But you were roommates with him. One of your roommates at West Point. Yeah, a good a good friend. Um, you know, a guy that I've become closer to in the last year or two. Um, you know, the thing for me is I I've heard and and I'm about. I'd say I'm, I'm a couple, probably three hours into the listen. I'm listening to it, and it and it's great. It, you know, it, it really is. It gives me time to shut it down for a minute and think about something or whatever. But um, I think what's really what needs to be known, and, and it has fractured my class of '86, my West Point class of '86. Really, the on book social has... media, yeah, and the book and the sixty minutes interview. Now, how many people do you down. think actually read the book? Nobody's read the book. Yeah. You know, nobody's read the book, but but they watched the twenty minutes of as you and I have talked about 60 minutes where they can make anything look like anything else. Can, and can I say this absolutely. on the record? Cause you and sure. I have said this off the record. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, maybe it's just, I'm so hyper aware of edits because of what I do, you know? And like, we keep a free flowing podcast. My goal is to not edit anything, but like sometimes if someone pauses for 10 seconds to gather themselves, of course I take that out. Do you know how I sit here on volume 110 to make sure as if no one even knows that was ever there like I know. perfectly. Yeah. And then I watched something like 60 Minutes. These are the worst. All, every one of those editors should be fired. These are the worst edited interviews I've ever seen. Someone will be talking about something, and then they'll cut to a different camera at a different volume level that was probably a half hour later. His hair's out of place, and then it's about something entirely new. And I'm watching it. I'm like, doesn't – like. Maybe I'm the only one noticing it. Maybe only people who do this notice it. But I'm like, Jesus Christ, like it's not even, there's no flow to it. No flow. You're, you're absolutely right. And so if you take the 90% of people, probably a lot of the folks in my class who are interested to watch it, right? Because it's appealing to us. It's appealing sure. to have a friend that you know on a different level and that's on, you know, a major telecast, right? So it's appealing. But, you know, until you kind of do your re you still have to do your research. You still have to grind down on what what you think or whether or not you knew him or others in the class that well enough to understand the dynamic, right? Can you explain so, to people what he's saying right now for those who are not 
familiar? Yeah. So, I mean, bottom line, simplifying it is he was so distraught. Mark is an extremely serious. We all take the oath of office several times, right? So you're commissioning your day one at West Point. You're commissioning as an officer. Um, Mark has taken it several. I did it as an FBI agent. I did it as an FBI supervisor. I did it for other reasons back in the military. Um, you take the sacred oath, and it's basically, uh, you know, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's what it comes down to. It's not to support and defend any particular person, any particular party, any particular belief. It's the Constitution of the United States. And we've talked about this before, you know, the Constitution and, and the thought process behind federal prosecutors and all those things. But in this particular instance, Mark was faced with some challenges, not only as the Secretary of the Army, but then as a guy who was bumped up to Secretary of Defense. And, and there were some other issues that happened that, that allowed him that opportunity. Thank God he had the opportunity to do it. And, and you know, there was there was another guy that, I think his name was Shanahan, who was really good, who was the acting Secretary of Defense for a after while. After Mattis left? After Mattis left. And he was then, Mattis's vice. Got it. And then Mattis leaves. And then, of course, like only... We we can only kill our people, you know, and and have smiles on our face. So they find stuff on Shanahan personally mm. on some divorce that he went through. Which who uh, cares exactly? And there's no ex-wife that's going to be like, oh yes, he's going to be wonderful. You know, it's just <laughs> not going to happen. And hence, hence why I told you before the first thing we ever did on any kind of public corruption case, my guys would come in and sit down. What should we do first, boss? Interview the ex-wife. Oh God! Because you will get everything that why you need. Why do we care about? Period. Well, and and my I liked it, but why do they care about? It? <laughs> right. So, so you know, Mark is is elevated. He's confirmed. I think his. I think it was a ninety to eight vote in the Senate. Trump only had three of those prior to like in two thousand seventeen, early two thousand. This is two thousand twenty. Mm. Esper's getting a ninety to eight. Right. That's pretty damn good. Well, how long? Because he hold on. He got. He got fired via tweet on November 9th. I remember yep. that. It was yep. like right after the election. Yep. How long was he in there? A year? It was about about a year. Okay. Yeah. I got think it. he was acting for quite a bit of time and then finally confirmed and became Secretary of Defense. But remember, he was he was in the Pentagon the whole time because he was Secretary of the Army at the time. And before that, he was right. part of the so military was, industrial complex at Raytheon. Absolutely. <laughs> and and also and also, you know, also a guy who was who was back in the Pentagon doing uh, and traveling the world doing good work. Like what? You know, uh, I can't, I don't know the exact, you, you know, kind of, I'm going to get, I think the book's going to explain a little bit more. I don't know enough about Mark's those years to be able to comment on it really. You also can't say. Yeah, maybe. Right. But what, what happens is um, guys now in the class, and you can tell the guys that really are making these huge accusations or judgments, yet I know they don't know them because of what they're saying, right? So Mark what are is they Mark is a um he's he's a black and white guy, right? So and he expects you to be as prepared as he is. He expects you to be as thorough as he is and was. He expects you to be a guy that's going to get to the bottom of every particular situation that you are pervy to and also that you're responsible for so take it back to west point right um in any class at west point there's five people that rise to the top in the leadership portion of that place right so uh, it's it's kind of what we call a whole person concept so it's your academics which we know who was number one in our class academically mike pompeo um athletics right which they they rank you 
in athletics as well. And then there's also a military grade, a military score, which which combines your leadership. It combines your understanding of tactics. It combines your ability to look at um, you know, kind of battles in the past and, and come up with a clear, concise explanation of why that was so important and why that was changed, you know, changed the way modern warfare is or was the worst thing that could have possibly happened, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's kind of, that's that's the levels that West Point brings you to. Now, within that, there's five particular people that rise to the top in any class. Mark was one of those guys. Mm. Steve Cannon. Another one of those guys. So him, I'm not familiar you know, with. Steve's uh, president. He was president and CEO of, of Mercedes Benz. My class. Oh, you talked about him. Okay. And then now he's he's Arthur Blank's CEO. So he, he manages the Falcons. He manages the Atlantic United, PJ Superstore, Home Depot. He's got a lot going on. Right? Oh, that's so, how you were doing the stuff with the Falcons. Correct. Got correct. It. Okay. So um, Esper was a guy at school, smart guy academically. I mean, clearly a smart book guy, but also a guy that was just a driven leader from a Western PA town, uh, the same town actually where General George Marshall, one of the heroes of you know World War II, uh, and a five-star um, came from. So, um, it, you know, Mark was a guy that just standards were everything. So even at school, and it didn't matter if you were his friend, it didn't matter if you were somebody that he really didn't know in the class. If there was a standard to be met and you weren't meeting it, Mark was going to tell you, and he was going to go to the next level with that. That's never changed. So these guys are like, oh, there's still people in the class that hold him accountable for something he did when we were 21 years old. For instance, hey, I got to go out and I got to, you know, I got to, I got a sports activity this afternoon. And before sports activity at West Point, I don't know if it's still that way, you get inspected. You go in your uniform, not your sports uniform. You go in your West Point gear, right, with your shoes should be shined and everything else. Now, most guys going to look and say, like, wink, wink, nod, nod, hey, you're okay. You know, even if your shoes are a little bit smudged or your belt buckle's not shined, um, not Mark Esper. But it wouldn't matter if it was your his roommate or somebody he didn't know. So to be shocked and surprised at that, to me, is ridiculous. And there's people who you're saying there's yeah, people who are like, raising. Oh my that god, this guy! Oh, he's a treasonist, you know, because he because he told Trump that we can't shoot people, uh, protesters okay. during the George Floyd Floyd situation. Let, let's right? let's back it up. Let's 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 get into some of this stuff now too, because yeah. you know anything that you were telling me, especially while this was still an active presidency, was obviously lock and seal confidential what's nice is now he's putting some stuff out there yeah but so less from him more from what seemed to be mike pompeo and some of the other guys you had Mm -hmm. over there i heard a lot of this stuff from you i heard what was going on behind the scenes and you know this is always a weird territory to wade into because whenever you bring up Biden or Trump or something, you know, there's people who immediately like perk up and mm-hmm. want to punch you in the face. So they're like, yeah. all right, am I going to say yes? So we're, we're going to have a diplomatic conversation and we'll let people draw away what they will. But what became clear to me as an outside observer from the things I was hearing is that Donald Trump's trait of not giving a fuck went so far beyond the realm of just getting around bureaucracy that it it actually got to the point where guys around him and and i want to make this i don't want to make this sound wrong for their sake but people around him had to find ways to massage the conversations with him to avoid 
traumatic situations. I know one of them was – I remember this one when it was going on and you were telling me about it. He wanted to he wanted to unleash the, the U.S. Army on like five cities or something around America during George Floyd to like shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Esper had to be like, we're, we're not declaring domestic war. On right. It. I, this yeah. is bad, but that, yeah. we're not doing that. You know, yeah. you, you can't really do that. And in the book, I know one of them that we can get into was like he said something about he wanted <laughs> – he wanted to send a missile to Mexico yeah. and say it wasn't us or something like that. And well, Esper had to say that can't happen. I don't know if it was if he wanted to, you know, be like uh, wasn't us. I, I just think it was let's launch a missile into Mexico, you know, and, for what? And because that's the only way we're going to be able to control the border. In How, his mind, that's going to send but, people but take, over the border. <laughs> but, but but take take the other take. I think I think it starts with. The handling of a narcissistic person, mm. right? How do you handle that in in a way where you maintain the Constitution, you you maintain the safety of the American people, national security, the safety of the military, right? Which Trump isn't a guy that's going to think about. Now he he probably loves America, but he doesn't understand, does not understand what it means to be a true soldier, a true no. patriot. For this Neither country, do I, right? You know, well, you do more. You do, yes, you do, yes, you do. You know, yes, you do. And and there's there's not any of us that wouldn't write a check. You know, at least in my group of people, and I think you you fall right into that. You write a check, and I have had so many people say, "Well, I'm so sad I didn't get a chance to get deployed or I didn't do this." Doesn't matter. Did you write that check? And that check was to the United States of America for and up to and including my life. I'll write that check, a blank I, check. I do need to have and money sign, first. Sign it. I'm just well, you know. I mean, same. but but you're you have your life, yes, so you yes. can write your life. It, it's um, but but ultimately, so you're dealing with a guy who's a narcissist who really doesn't understand what it means when you do things or you say things like that, and the knee jerk that goes along with that. And then you've got people that have to come together who are brilliant minds. You know, brilliant minds. They're they've served their entire life thinking about national security. And they have to come up with options for you and, and then solutions and recommend to you why that's really not a great idea to start shooting people in, you know, in protests. But these, or, are, these are so – this is the thing. They're so beyond the pale. Like before you even have to explain that, your mind already has to be racing like he's the, saying Here we go shit. again. Well, yeah. Well, well, that's what the book – and I've got – you know, obviously I've got knowledge outside – independent knowledge from the book. But – if the book will explain why, um, how often it happened, um, why it kind of happened, what was going on at the time, and then what the result was of the gathering of the powers that be in the National Security Alliance to kind of get past it, right? To have to put up with the screaming, the yelling, the insults. And then ultimately the realization that, yeah, we probably can't do that. And the way they would do that is be factual about what would happen. You know, here's what's going to happen should you choose to do this. Like, do you remember when that, I think it was like um, an unmanned aircraft was shot down, one of our aircrafts, one of our surveillance planes. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it wasn't long ago. Shot down. $200 $200 million piece of equipment, right? Gathering information and intel over, I think it was over one of the waterways. Mm-hmm. And it was basically to determine whether or not there was movement, right? So um, Trump's reaction to that was initially, well, let's bomb, you know, let's bomb the shit out of the people. And I, th- I think it was the Iranians that, that wound up oh, doing that. Oh, was this that. the Soleimani thing? 
I don't think it was. I don't think it was. But basically, Trump says, "Hey, let's let's bomb the shit out of." I think the I think the Iranis. I think so. I that think that's was what the, it comes down the, to. I remember this. This and this was when Esper was first in office. Correct. Could, and you were like son of narcissistic son of a bitch. Like obviously, Sol- General Soleimani was a bad guy, but it was like there was a risk that there was going to be well, something after that by making that decision. No doubt. But but what the only thing that got him that got Trump kind of thinking about it was when they put the number the expected number of deaths the body count on it they said look even if we do it because he's like well fuck it just do it in the middle of the night won't be people there so they said well you're going to kill you know we we imagine it's going to be 150 people 150 people and he he backed off because <laughs> good you know, yeah, right. he backed okay. off right. but but you know it was but it was he was ordering that launch period he was ordering that hit. Now, how, how many times do you think, and I'm asking you to role play here because yeah. you, you technically weren't there, but just judging his brash New York businessman style, how many times do you think he just like walked in the room like, we need to bomb all of them, kill them, and people are like, whoa, 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 okay. I think often. And then two minutes later, he's like, ah, you're right, we're not going to do that. Versus yeah. like, or, he's pounding the table, we're doing this or, no matter what. Or never, you're right, we're not going to do this, just be pissed, just not talk to you for two months see that's a problem so so you know if you're if you're sitting if you've got a seat at the table and everyone else at that table respects you and you've got a guy that's just ignoring you whose problem is it? his yeah but yet you're feeling like you've gotta like you gotta be fucking kidding me like cut you off not allow you to talk and this is this is a guy this week, I've been manually reconfiguring my eight sleep app just to like test around different temperatures to sleep on and see how fast my body gets used to certain things. I've talked about it in the past. I love sleeping cold, but like, do I want to sleep at the very cold or like extremely cold metric or do I want to sleep mild cold or like just like a little bit cold? And so I've been doing something different each night, but it's amazing how aware my body becomes of what the mattress is doing because I'm like thinking about it. And then when I look at the statistics the next day, I can correlate how I felt with what I actually ended up getting. Like how fast did I fall asleep? What, how many times did I toss and turn throughout the night? Like it'll show you in hourly increments as well. So you can see like when you were at certain stages of sleep, whether or not you're sleeping great or not so great. And then I can figure out over time, like, oh, well maybe I like sleeping on minus six as opposed to minus eight. So cool. The 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover I talk about every week and comes in queen or king sizes. It goes right on top of your current mattress and it is wired directly into the app I speak of where you can measure all these things and understand why when you sleep on an 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, you can sleep six hours and feel like you slept eight. It's a beautiful thing. So if you use the link in my description, along with the code TRENDIFIER at checkout, that's T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R, you will get $150 off your own 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover today. Once again, make sure you use that code TRENDIFIER at checkout to get the $150 off. But you will get the actual Pod Pro cover. You will get the app, obviously, that you'll download to come with that, and it will change how you look at sleep forever. So check it out. Mark Esper is a guy. There's, there's not a harder working guy out there. This guy, this guy, and his wife. I mean, and his wife geared up. They geared up. They have three kids, you know. So I mean, they. I mean, there's a lot going on in life. I know that just from my situation. They geared up. They strapped up, buckled up, and went at it. And what do you mean? Like you know, when he when he became secretary of the army, he he locked down. Let's go. We're going to oh, solve yeah. these problems. Yeah. And and marks the you know there's something. 
there's something called night court that they used. And basically, literally, it was at, it was at night. And they would go through the night and they would get briefed by every single person that had something to do with that program until they determined what the ground level problem or ground level opportunity was to either budget cut, to have better strategy and tactics, to have better logistics, whatever it seemed to be, whatever it was, he was getting to the bottom of that. And he is, I know for a fact, he's one, he's got one of the best BS meters in the history of the world, right? But he'll even tell you that he does. He just knows. And and it's not it's not that you have a BS meter and I've said this before. It's the fact that you get to the bottom of something. Mm-hmm. And people when people know that they're not prepared or when they know they haven't done what they should have done, they'll start fucking up. They'll start kind of wavering and then okay, I'll I'll go to it, right? So if you can get it to that point, you're you're in great shape, right? You're going to actually solve the problem or have opportunities for solution that mm-hmm. you could provide. When you've got a narcissist in their own realm and all they're thinking about is how it makes them look, all that work kind of goes out the door, right? Well, Unless he leaves you the fuck alone and just says, and for a while he was doing that until he felt like he was, you know, his narcissist being was was upset. His ego and his moves were getting blocked, essentially. Correct. Like it it seems like the line in the sand was after like the Floyd riots, where he's like, "No, we're not going to declare domestic warfare on the United States." One (laughs) one million percent. But but even like I think if you if you do some research on you know on Esper and and Mark Milley, um, you know the the chairman or the Joint Chiefs. Yeah, that guy. If you do some research though on those guys, and I know things have gotten sour, but but him I don't like. But I get it. You know, but they kept, there's this, their offices sit next to each other in the Pentagon, right? So for obvious reasons, right? There's been no, in the last, since the Reagan administration, there's been no chairman of the Joint Chiefs and Secretary of Defense that have interacted except on a conference table in front of everybody else. So the doors have been shut. Nobody knows. But the first decision Esper made when he became Secretary of Defense was to open the door between the offices. And they knew each other, obviously. They, they knew each they, other they from, went, from yeah. sec- being Secretary of the Army. You know, he was his boss there, and then he became, he was his boss when, when Millie was, um, you know, the chairman of the Army, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to something on that. Before we do, though, this yeah. might actually be a good spot because I don't even know if, if I have any bit of an educated answer around this but what is the difference in the job roles of the secretary of defense and the chairman of the joint chiefs because usually very often not always but very often like defense comes from the military Mm -hmm. right and so the chairman of joint chiefs is literally like a general in the military what what's like the write-up difference obviously everyone reports the secretary of defense he's top dog but chairman of joint chiefs is top of the army Chairman of Joint Chiefs is top of the military, so okay. so it's it rotates the branches of service rotate that chairman position normally. That's normally the way it works. So uh, you know you've had um, you've had admirals that have been I think McChrystal um, I think and mm-hmm. um, you've had Air Force you've had the Marine the Commandant of the Marine Corps not Dumford I think not long ago was the chairman. So they rotate that out. And so it's basically, I think the idea there is never to kind of allow one branch or the other to think that they have 
you know, more say than others. So that, it, and what it does is it fosters open communication among the, amongst the branches. The Secretary of Defense is their boss. What can, so what, so basically, what can the- he's a policy guy. He he's like a here's my. I mean, Esper Esper says in his book, I wrote a two page visionary statement. That's it, just two pages of what I wanted to accomplish. First, as the Secretary of the Army, Trump and then, read two read two sentences. Well, if he, <laughs> if he read any of it, and then and then secondarily, what I wanted to accomplish, my vision, what I wanted to accomplish as the Secretary of Defense, right? So at that point, it's up to Milley as the Joint Chiefs to execute the portions of that vision statement that apply to the military, mm. right? It's up to the undersecretaries of not only the Army but the undersecretaries of defense to accomplish the policy portions of that visionary statement. So the sec defense takes, I guess kind of takes in what the president and the speaker and all those people have in mind in their platform. And then he takes his own vision of what he thinks national security should look like. And then he kind of dovetails those into each other. Now, in this case, how are you going to dovetail, shoot those fucking people in the leg, and then fucking launch a missile into Mexico? Okay, we're done for today. The, the other one that I didn't even know about, that Esper writes in his book, he talks about he's in a he's in a pretty high-end meeting with all of his, it's called like senior executives, basically it's all the senior executive leaders that are under the privy of the Pentagon meet once just once a year. He's in that meeting. He gets a phone call from Millie, and Billy, Millie says, I got to see you right now. He says he wants, to, the President Trump wants to evacuate every American citizen out of South Korea. When was this? This was shortly after, basically, Esper takes over as Secretary of Defense. Why did he Because wanna... North Korea is going to attack, and we want to move those out. So they finally have to sit and talk to him and say... Let's talk about all the things that does to the world. Well, what does that do to the world in that case? I mean, and why every, did he think they were I mean, going to attack j- them? Just everything. I mean, who else isn't going to want? It? Everyone's going to now pull their folks out of South Korea. It's going to empower North Korea, that crazy son of a bitch, to maybe now say, "Ooh, we got them on the run. Let's hit them up." Right? Weren't they it's in gonna, like a good spot at that point, though? They were in a great spot, but that, but that's the shit that this guy. He got so pissed off at the fact that he felt like North Korea was disrespecting him and his administration, that he decides, well, we're going to pull everybody on South Korea because this guy's definitely going to do something. But but that's the shit that... Think about the time away from the true mission of the Secretary of Defense or the office of the Secretary of Defense, what they not want to do, what they need to accomplish. Think about the time and energy that's wasted by this president making statements like that. And he, here's another thing, too. All, the people... Of these friends you're talking about, these ones in particular, they're all conservative guys. Like they're yeah. they're from Republican backgrounds, yeah. including like yeah. literally in office in some cases. And you're more of you're you're interesting though because you don't. If I give you a good idea and it's not and it's not cons- conservative values, you'll be like, sounds good to me. Yeah, like you have so- yeah. Yes. If it makes sense for the security of this country. I would even Honestly, go, I would go beyond just that topic. I'm saying, like in general, right. when I've had conversations with you, but I'm saying like, I'm an open thinker with that stuff. I I, I am, and I that, have to be. I think that's great because that makes you not normal. But like as a basis, you're a more conservative guy, right? So it's very telling to me 
when people, especially like people I happen to know in your mm-hmm. case and love and, and know everything you're about, and then therefore the people closest to you who you've known for 40 years at, at various levels, like when all these people who are also on the same side of things are saying a lot of the same things, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as I said to you off camera, if even 20% of this stuff is true, it's problematic. And by the way, this is not to say that like, I think it's great that we have a geriatric fuck in office right now. I think that's not great at all. And I, you know, God knows what the hell's going on behind there. I don't think he's calling any shots, but, you know, maybe there's able-bodied people who are. I don't maybe. know. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, this isn't a situation where it's like, well, fuck this, so yes to that, no matter what. I, I think we have problems across the board. But when you're looking at what Trump did to capture attention and capture the hearts and minds of people, like, I, st- I talk with people who are still, like, Trump people, and they're not, at least the ones I talk to, none of them are mean or, or whatever. They have one, two, or three reasons that, by the way, aren't related to missiles in Mexico. Right. That they're, they, makes sense for their them. own life, Absolutely. yes. Absolutely, makes and, sense to and them. And he speaks for them, and so I empathize with that tremendously. Just like people, like, I'm not a Bernie guy, but I listen to people talk about Bernie and the things, the one, two, or three things that he really stands for for them, and I'm like... I empathize with that too, and then you hear the guy talk, and you're like, okay, all right, I, I get, I get where he's coming from on some things, but like to me, I don't believe in extremes. I view Trump as an extreme. I view a Bernie Sanders as as more of an extreme type guy, and I'd love to bring our world back to a place where we have middling, right? If we went Democrat Republican and they were just moderates over and over again, that'd be great, you know. So when we talk about this, I think it gives it a lot of credence when someone like you on a long form podcast like this, and even if Mark ends up doing something like this, you know, can walk through all these different things you saw. And I, I guess the the last point there that's important to say is. Mark Esperam isn't any meals. You know, no, he, he's, he's a wealthy guy. He has a... This is not... He doesn't need to sell a book for money. He's got a lot of fucking money. My question is, and I don't know if you know the answer to this personally. This would be more for him, I guess, but maybe you've talked to him. Like, why is he writing a book now? I, why didn't he say something the day he got fired? I mean, the dude got fired on Twitter. He had all the current the social currency to say whatever the fuck he wanted after that. Not Agreed. Uh, but I just don't think that's him. You know, and I think this book, I, the reason I think you and I started talking in this in this podcast initially about therapy and therapeutic value of writing and getting your ideas out, I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a guy, because this is, this, is this is a 20 hour, 22 hour listen. This is a long book. Yeah. It's it's a long book and it's really goes back to his days. He talks about taking the oath at West Point with, you know, 1500 others of us in the class 86. He talks about our graduation. He talks about his commissioning and his branch decisions and his time in in Desert Storm and, you know, the, the Chinooks that flew him into Desert Storm and all the things that go with that. So I think this is therapy for him and it's just out of character for him to ever kind of fire off on anyone when what happened to him happened. And um you mean like right away. Yeah. I just don't think it's it's something that we're trained for at school. It's something that we're trained for at West Point, honestly, is to not is to is and we've talked about this before. You know, don't react, respond. Take the time to respond. And I think that's what you're seeing here. And within this response is some really helpful information, you know, not only as to what was going on and why Mark made the decisions on in the White House in 
in the Oval Office, but also some of his ways of doing things. And and we talked about that earlier on too. You know, focus hard on something, one thing, for six months, and you'll be astonished with the results. Well, that's what this guy did. You know, this guy found so much within the budget and the organization and the value of different agencies um, that weren't really even understanding what their mission was. Um, you, you know, and I, I think looking at looking at the Trumpsters, looking at the Bidenites, looking at, you know, the, the Clintonites, looking at the Bernie Sanders people, what it all comes down to is what makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. What what What's impactful in your life that mirrors some of the things that that, the most things that that person is doing, right? And when I look at Trump people, they're all pretty much... They're, they're financial guys. Let's be honest. You know, most well, of them depends, are financial guys. It depends guys. where you're looking. Uh, it does. But what my point is... In your circles, they are. In my circles, they yes. are. Because they're guys that have brought have brought the money in. And I've learned more over the last year in, in talking with you. Um, I've learned more to kind of look at those people for what what they really are, you know, and why they're really like they are. And I have my own beliefs and... and there may be things that are totally wrong about individuals. You know, I, I think a lot of it goes to they're just, they're not confident in themselves, right? So their story kind of tells the way. And and hence hence my, my issues. It mirrors my issues. But mine is more along the side of, I don't think the confidence is the factor. I just think that I always feel like I'm not giving myself, I don't want to give myself credit. I want others to give me credit, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of back off. Well, you can't do that especially when you have a message to deliver. So I think long story short on this is Esper has a message to deliver. And the message talks about how valuable it is to be, to be sacred to the oath that you took and also to kind of stay in line with the things that you believe are for in the best interest of the most people, which are not only the military or not, I should say not only national security of all the citizens, but also the well-being of the military. And he is, he is extremely focused on that. You know, he, the military family, um, you know, he talks about changing one, what he did is he changed, this was an interesting story, and this will kind of give people an idea. So he gets a note, he goes to visit uh, Schofield Barracks in Hawaii, which is the home of the 25th Infantry Division, historic, yeah. you know, wonderful um, division, commanded by some of the greatest generals to ever walk the face of the earth. And he goes there just on a visit to kind of talk to the commanders about some of the things he thinks um, they could be doing better and some of the things that he wants to hear, some of the things that they think, you know, he can do for them in order to kind of get to the bottom of this whole policy deal, this whole budget cut deal, this whole how do we figure out what's most efficient equipment, all this stuff. And what comes out of it is there's a, there's a military spouse, a woman that says, you know the one thing that bothers me, Mr. Esper? And he's like, no, what's that? I have to come from the gym after I work out. I have to drive home, change into a respectable outfit before I can go to the PX, which is basically the Kmart of the military, or the commissary, which is the shop right of the military. I have to go home before I can go because there's a policy that says I can't be dressed in gym clothes and go to those stores on the posts at the Schofield Barracks. So... He said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And this is this is Mark. And she said, well, it's a half-hour ride each way. So I leave the gym. I got 30 minutes to get home. I got to throw something else on. And then I got 30 minutes to go back. In the meantime, it's getting closer to school being over, so I got to run back out and do it again in a couple hours. 
I just don't understand it. So Esper writes a letter to all of the post commanders across the country, across the world that have PX and a, and a commissary. They all do. And he says simply what that, hey, I met with this person. There's no response. Everybody's like, no, we don't, we don't agree. We're not going to change the policy. Well, isn't he, he's the secretary. Of well, he wanted to see what the flavor was, right? <laughs> so it comes back a couple of weeks go by, no movement on it. So he writes back and says, well, you know, I'm going to change, I'm changing the policy. And basically the policy is going to be, uh, it's at your discretion, commander, but I do believe that people should be able to go in the PX with, you know, as long as they're um, serviceable, as long as they're, you know, uh, not cutoffs or exposing body parts, whatever, you can do that. And still, nothing. Finally, he just says, this is what it's going to be. And the military families look at him and say, thank you. You know, it's just, it's just a matter simple of shit. simple yeah. shit. Or, hey, uh, changing policies so that school teachers that are licensed in Washington State when her husband was assigned to Fort Lewis are now, you know, certified in Fort Leavenworth. Because by the time they get to Kansas, retake the tests, get certified, do their student teaching, and become tenured, he's on to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Mm. So he changed the policy that a lot, if you have a teaching certification and you're a military spouse, any state in the country, you're now a teacher in any state. Mm. where you rotate simple things like that so that's how mark esper sees things now take it to the level he's working on all those things with his wife he's budgeting he's worried about the security of the the troops and whether or not their mental health is in place and how things you know what it looks like to recruit better because we miss recruiting goals because we had the standards too high and he hears that the standards are too high he he actually makes the standards higher he said we don't want to attract yeah. Those folks, you know, that are where we were not long ago. I wonder if they had moved the standards too high or if no, the, I ju- I just the think application they were like, pool was they, lower. It was lower. I mean, yeah. he, he did a study. There's about three to 400,000 kids, 17 to 24, that are interested, interested in possibly going into the military out of high school. That's it. Three to 400,000 kids. Out of those, it's only about 20% that would qualify. Mm. So when you think about that, how are we going to maintain an Army or a Navy or a Marine Corps or an Air Force or a Space Force at this point when that's the pool of applicants that are going? Well, what he decided to do is tour out to all these different cities, urban cities, and talk about the value of becoming a soldier. Mm. The value of what it means and how it lines up your life and how it builds your resume and how it's attractive to employers when you're done and how it makes you some money that you're not going to make any other way coming my, from where you're coming from. My, you know? my only thing there, and this isn't a Mark Esper point, this is a general machine yeah. point here. Yeah. It's like, to me, that's what we hear about, like the stereotype a lot. Now they go to poor environments and say, here's some hope, be be in the army and everything. And like someone like you, you made the choice to do it when you were 18, went to West Point, went to the highest end of it and whatever. I, I think that's a little different than people who feel like, oh, well, that's the only great choice for me. And so there's a lot of cynics out there. And, and I try to not be cynical, but rather more hyper aware of it where we do see a continued cycle over and over again regardless of party in charge where we get ourselves into some sort of endless war over and over and over again and when you look at the past a lot of the past 40 years and the conflicts we've been involved in dating back to like vietnam 50 years it's like well some of it you're legitimately asking for what 
You know, there, there's plenty where that's not the case. I would argue, especially like after 9-11, Afghanistan absolutely had to go there. Didn't have to go to Iraq. Never should have been in Iraq. You know what I mean? And so it feels like when you look at the cynics and what they'll say and, and where I'm like, they have a point there is like, oh, yeah, sacrificing more people to the war machine. And yet a guy like him is in an awkward position there no matter what, because A, this is his whole life. Like he did this and he legitimately made the choice to do it. But also B, like he does have to field an army. He's the secretary of defense. It's what he does. Yeah, an efficient and effective army, too. Yeah. And an army that's taken care of and, and believes that they're being taken care of. So their mental health is in place, you know, so that they're getting everything that they, nothing more, but everything that they're entitled to get for doing what they do. Mm. You know, and, and you, yeah, I mean, listen, if if you took, if Mark Esper came to Rumson, you know, after <laughs> after a couple of glasses of, uh, of, of Vouv champagne, you know, they'd be like, "Yeah, our kids don't do that shit. You know, they're they're, they're going to go take a, an internship at yeah. uh, at Goldman, you know, yeah. and we'll see you later." I mean, they'll fly the flag high, and they'll talk the talk, but at the oh. end of the day, their kids ain't fucking going. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's and so interesting so, to me, man. It, it is, but I mean, my point is about Mark is get to the bottom of every single you know issue within the military. What, every single one and what, he really did what were his expectations though and i i asked that because He's, because he didn't come in in 2017 mm -hmm. he came in in late 2019 what mid 2019 whatever it was he already had buddies who were there mike mm -hmm. pompeo had been there since day one at cia mm -hmm. and then state he had i know there's other guys i'm forgetting their names who who were around it had seen it you know especially as you described him, like a black and white type guy did he not know what he was getting into here? And no. if so, why did he do it? I think when when they ask him that question, and I think the book is kind of leading towards this, it's his his constant fear. Ah, fear is a bad word. His thought that if he you know if he didn't, who would now come next? That would not be able to survive the onslaught put on by that Oval Office. Right. So he knew if he left, like people said, well, why didn't you just if you know why didn't you say something? And he said, well, I needed to be there. I needed to be, be there to protect the Army, to protect the armed forces, to protect the soldiers. Nobody else was going to do that in his mind. Now, that might not be right. You know, you got to go like Ryan McCarthy or you got other guys that are there that are doing the job. You know my thoughts on Lloyd Austin. I don't, we don't have to go through that again. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of he really has that concern and that thought for the soldier. And... and the greatest job, and he says it, and, and I'll tell you the same thing. The greatest job I ever had in my life was as a platoon leader, as a brand-new lieutenant out of West Point, leading, leading young soldiers and older non-commissioned officers and earning their trust, mm -hmm. earning their trust. That was the greatest job I'll ever have. I'll never have a better job than that. How the, long did you have that job again? You, you have it a short time. It's a year. Maybe it, If you're lucky, you're a platoon leader for two years. If you're lucky, if, if everything falls into place and you, you, know, you don't get moved up to what they call battalion staff, which is several different positions, one being operations, one being supply, one being logistics, one being admin. So, and that's the normal natural progression. And then you take a company after that, or you take a, a battery. So there, that's the levels. And after that, until battalion command, and he even changed the way that they select lieutenant colonels who are guys with 20 years in to take command at that next level. And I totally agree with the way he did it. Mm. But like, that's the guy. That's when he came into these jobs. The, sec, the reason he took these jobs, Secretary of the Army, Secretary of Defense, is because he knew he was back in a team leading.
leading soldiers, now leading highly, you know, highly educated, great leaders, people who made a difference and have impactful personalities and ways of doing things. And he, he felt that that was important. And I get, I get, I, I get it too, you know, and and I, and I'm, I'm sold like, because by the way, like he didn't need to write a book to say this. I've been hearing this from you for three years. So I, I've, I've been sold on that and, and I'm comfortable with that, but people out there, they weren't a part of those conversations. People listening right now, they yep. don't know you personally like I do. Yep. Like they, and again, like you know, we all have to do things based off opinion and feel and and what we think of other people. But there's two ways that people can look at this that I see. Like when I look at the madness of the crowds, right? People can either say, I guess the most common would be like people who detest Trump and whatever. They would say, "Oh, guys like that, they're in there doing God's work, protecting our country from Donald Trump." The people who love Trump could say, look at that. The inside deep state government is taking control of everyone. And there's the fracture. You just explained Class 86 fracture. Yeah. So Perfectly. And here's the thing. Him aside, defense secretary and cabinet aside, when people are looking at the government as a whole, not even with Trump involved, there is an element of like these bureaucracies, these group things, big tanks they control everything right and that's fair i feel like sometimes a guy like mark who again where i'm like at least a little indirectly tied to this situation in particular it's like you're in a lose-lose because if he comes out he could be a lifelong conservative like he is military man do this job for for the soldiers and to take care of them and i know he took that seriously as a west point guy the dude behind screen name X out in fucking Utah, like he may feel differently yeah. and he may, and, and I get his cynicism too. Like, Oh, who the fuck are you going in there? Mr. Raytheon senior executive, Mr. Military industrial complex person trying to protect this country from go- who God sent Donald Trump. And even if I disagree with his opinion, I understand how he gets to that. Yeah. No, and I do too, and, and I respect that. And I think it all comes down, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the simplification of our thoughts, right? The simplification of finding meditation, able to open up things to me that make sense at this point at 59, right? So what if you could look inside and say, what, where were the incentives, given everything else being the same, financially stable, healthy kids, um, the ability to work pretty much any job that he would want to have worked be, before jumping into government, right? What's his? What is his incentive? I truly believe a guy like that. It's all about taking care of the soldier. Maybe even first taking care of the soldier. And, I'll, and when I'll I say bet. soldier, yeah. I mean yeah. when I say soldier, I mean you know airmen, seamen, yes. you know the whole deal. But and then also protecting the national security of this great country. How do we do that? And people don't. Think think about your daily tasks. I think I thought about when he was talking about this stuff to us separately about the shit he was doing with this night court and having what they called it Esper sweats. I mean he he would sweat you, you know, to get the info. And, and people were stuttering and stammering. High level people doing that, and I probably would have been doing the same thing if I wasn't prepared. Right? I think about that job, and then I think about the things that we all stress and stroke about, you know, day to day, whether it be. Um, you know, okay, I've got to get this piece of paper, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know 
what people literally think about getting to work, getting their kids to daycare. Where am I going to put my kids in daycare? Right. All those same things that are so important yeah, to, to the to the American citizen. Now take that to he's got all those same concerns that we do, but he's also got a job that's life and death. Yeah. And if he doesn't make the right decision or if he doesn't stand up for the rest of us, we, we've got a problem. And how many things do we not know about that happen that he stood up for that he can't write about? You know, how many things do I know about that I can't write about or talk about that still wake me up sometimes? I wake up sometimes and say, oh, my God, I'm glad. Wow, I'm glad that's over. Or I'm glad I don't have to do that. I mean, I still I still wake up standing in the door of a, of a C-141 ready to jump. And I tell you, I, I have, I don't know if it's a control thing. I don't know if it's now I'm getting older. So I'm feeling like, you know, I'm no longer immortal, you know, and I've got a sense of mortality finally. And maybe it's cause my grandson was born, but I can, I've been having more of those thoughts like, holy shit, I'm so glad I could have been dead there mm. or I could. So I think it's kind of the things that he thinks about now, I give him so much credit at my same age to be able to to stand inside the door and to to make those decisions and to make them fairly and to make them being well researched, well prepared. And now he's just trying to tell that story as a as a bit of therapy. You know, I, he's I, I, listen. Does he like? I mean, I think he said it. I mean, I think the the really the the straw that broke the camel's back was the walk over. Right uh, during the George Floyd riots, he walks over to that yeah. church that was being vandalized yeah. in his mind. So holds the Bible up, and he drags along Millie, and he gr- drags along Esper. You know, Esper turns around from there, goes back to the Pentagon, gives a speech about why we we're, we're never the military is never politicized ever, and that's the other thing he thinks about. You know, politi- You know, basically politicizing an organization yeah. that is the only thing that we shouldn't be doing. It's and been it's been happening been for it's a while happening, now. It's been happening a lot. It's really and I think Iraq is what opened it up and and part of that by the way I I get it. I I do get it, but he's right in a in a utopian world it should be something that is just America, right? Period. And soldiers should be punished based on their actions, not based on somebody else's political views. Yes. And what I mean by that is look at these I don't even know how many it is. They say it's four, maybe six West Point cadets that were that did coke. Now the sad part is it was laced with fentanyl, right? So they wind up almost dying. But you're fucking gone. Sorry. Why are we dragging our feet on these kids? Because they can run a football and beat Navy. We didn't beat Navy last year. But but <laughs> but my point is like I worry about those kids. I'm sad for those kids. I'm glad those kids are okay. Higher standard type deal. We don't do that there. Yeah. We shouldn't be. In my, and I hate to sound, in, in Esper in my day, <laughs> it was There's black been, and white, bro. No little blowies going see on? See you back later. Back. ABC, you later. I remember no, two dudes No ripping lines in the, in the back bathroom. I was a freshman, and there were two seniors who were two of the cooler guys, because you can really have an issue. If you've got a company, and there's 36 companies at West Point, if you've got a company that has a reputation of being what they call a haze company, and they just light your ass up for no particular reason just because they want to keep that reputation going from the 1940s, um, these two guys were cool dudes. Like, they would call you, and you okay? Come on in. You know, come and sit down. Well, a week before graduation, they both got booted. You know why? They were selling cocaine. 
They were cool guys. Yeah, really. They were fucking stoned all the time. Of course they were cool. Come on in. Let's listen to Michael Jackson. You know, know, I mean, like, but we didn't know that. But but West Point, you know, nowadays, I'm not so confident that it wouldn't be like, oh, you know, it was. we only sold a little bit. You know, Call we'll me a cynic, there. but especially in the 1980s, I don't even care if it's West Point. There had to be there had to be snow on these campuses. Oh, I mean, because now I know what it is. It's nuts. But no, I'm just saying. hell, hell yes, it was there, but it it wasn't tolerated. Sure, and you never wanted to put your fellow classmates in a position where they had to right. report you. Right, that was the big. That's the difference between the West Point Honor Code and any other honor code. Cadet will not. Same, Naval Academy says the same thing. Air Force Academy. What they don't have is a toleration clause. That will not lie, cheat, or steal at West Point, nor tolerate those who do. Right. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. It is because it gets into like the whole snitching thing and all that. And and I get it. Like, look, you're you're holding this is the highest education of army men in in the United States, right? So it is a it's supposed standard. to be. Yeah. yeah. I'm, suppo- I'm not a part of it. So. It's supposed to be. And and you know, I, I just think that Esper has carried that over to where he is today and where he's been in the last year and where he was 40 years ago. Call, call me crazy, but I truly believe, and some of this is probably a little pie in the sky, so that's fine if, if people laugh at some of this, but when I sit in here and you get to do it, other people now have been through here a hundred times doing it and everything, it's like, you know, the world kind of stops and we talk for a long period of time. We talk for three hours. And... I'm definitely not perfect as far as reading people. I don't think I ever will be. I don't think anyone's perfect, but I'm 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 above Pretty average because yeah. well you I know you're really good at it. You're better than me, but I'm above average because I do this right. I believe that if I gave that guy three hours to go back and forth and answer even some of the questions that I've had you answer on his behalf today, I'd have a pretty good feel for where he stood on things. I hope to do that when he's done this book tour. I'd, I'd hope to have him in here yeah, to, me too. To, to do that because I I hate to see anyone, regardless of their left or right, be pigeonholed into a political bullshit back and forth battle, especially like if they're genuinely trying to do the right thing. You know, I, I like I, I think I think it's important for people to know what goes on. I just hope it also doesn't have the opposite intended effect because you did have such a media onslaught on Trump where there was ridiculous things thrown out there, even by his standard and everything, to where what happens is then people are like, oh, they lied about this, this and that. I don't believe anything, you know, and and that's that's unfortunate, but it is it is the way it is. It's it's it happens and it has happened and it will continue to happen. But. You know, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think you would hear, you would figure out who the guy is. And and like I said, it, it hasn't changed. Yeah. It, it's He's run the course of time. It's it's a test of time that Mark Esper has passed. You know, I mean, I just, I saw him last year at the Belmont. We went to the Belmont Stakes. And as you know, my buddy, Terry Finley, owns a bunch of racehorses. Right, won the right. Kentucky Derby, the whole deal. Great Doesn't dude. Mark own one with him? Well, Mark is now, you know, getting interested in that. Never before. Yeah. Never before. Like, you know, he actually loosened his tie at the Belmont. Oh, what the fuck? Mark Esper oh. loosened his tie. That's unusual. You know, that's unusual. I didn't even have a tie. So, you know, <laughs> but, but that's, it was good for him to loosen Come his on, tie Hank. up, you know? So it's kind of, kind of, you know, it's kind of like when you think about it, um, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of seeing things from a different 
point of view, but at the same time, he is who he is, you know? And but perhaps I love the gloves that. are off a little I bit. Love, I think the gloves are off. I yeah. think things just worried him a little bit. Yeah. I think fair. he was worried. You know, I think he looked and said, wow. And he's the kind of guy, he's not, he's not, answer, he's answering that email right now. He's not waiting on that email. Yeah. He's answering it now. He doesn't have to meditate to answer the email. <laughs> he don't it's fucking not, answer the email. He's not a big meditation guy. I don't see him being yeah, a meditation guy. I don't guy. see him doing yeah, that either. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll get him into it. But you didn't do any know. meditating like you said back at West Point. There's none of that. No meditating maybe was passing out for 20 minutes at your desk while you were trying to do calculus after mm. boxing class. We used to laugh at that. After boxing class? Yeah, so I had 7.30 boxing class as a freshman. Oh, I love that's savage. 7.30 a.m. We need to do that regular college. It's good stuff, you know, but it really is the first time that you say, whoa, like the old Tyson line. You know, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face. Were you Orthodox or Southpaw? No, I was an Orthodox guy. They teach Mm -hmm. it that way. But there were dudes that have fought coming into school, right? And it just, it was strictly like, it didn't matter. You could be, you just alphabetically or whatever however they tried to do it by size never fucking worked yeah never. not for the newark brawler never. Jim no they'd just be like, take okay you, <laughs> you know you it just lines up that your schedule you know you're kind of gonna be with oh my god look at the size of some of these dudes you know so um you would get pounded even if you won you? even everybody even if you won you got pounded because you're getting you know you're getting hit i mean you're getting yeah. hit right it, i mean I had some I had some fights coming up as a kid, but they were over in two seconds. This is you only do minute rounds, right? So three one minute, minute rounds. rounds. Yeah, three one what minute is this rounds. Bullshit. Three one minute rounds. But at West just, Point, you just pound the shit out Come of each on. other. Pound the shit out of each other. And one minute rounds. One minute rounds. And it's I'm hard. disappointed. I'm telling that. you, it's hard. I, I, I I'm know. Telling it, you, there's no boxing that's easy, but I'm but, disappointed. But it I'm should telling be three you, minutes. they were the great at bouts, and then you would jump in the shower at 100 miles an hour. You know, what they call pinging at West Point, which was moving your feet at 120 steps per minute. You're just basically going. You would ping all the way back from the gym all the way to the calculus classroom, which was Thayer Hall, which had like 50 sections of plebe calculus, freshman calculus. You go in there. Your your nose is still bleeding. You're a little but you're groggy. You're still sweating. Even though you took a shower, you're in full uniform and you sit down and, and the OK, let's talk about, you know, the proofs. Involved in this uh, differential equation from problem number one, and, and, you know, <laughs> g- g- you know, and I mean that's kind of the way that place kind of brought you up and brought you through. So the rest of this stuff is just you know take your pounding and then fucking get in and make the solution. You know, figure it out. Mm. And that's what I think he kind of brings to light in this book is take you got to take your pounding sometimes because it's rank. And he's a, he's a we're all. Yes, sir. You know, move forward. We're all military guys, but at the end of the day, we also have minds of our own to think about, well, wait a minute, time out. There's a problem, mm. you know, and I think that's what the school kind of teaches you is how to kind of, how to, how to, how to, like I said, instead of always reacting, you're responding more. Yeah. In your personal life, in your private life. So there was no time for meditation. The only time I would meditate is honestly when I was like, holy shit, I'm going to pass out in this calculus <laughs> class because I'm so beat. We had a dude, Muddy Park, in my class, Korean Muddy National. Park? Korean National. Greatest His name was dude. Muddy Park. Muddy Park. It was like Mi Yang or something, but we called him Muddy. Oh, my God. So we're standing in class. Basically, what would happen is and <sighs> you, you would open the windows, especially in the summer at West Point, because it was blazing. There was no air conditioning in the academic buildings. And we were kind of um, – the, the um, chemistry labs were on the first floor. So chemistry, physics, 
um, all your different sciences, some of your engineering classes, first floor, windows, West Point windows, old school, old fashioned, you know, the, the 1802, they built these buildings. So they're floor to ceiling windows and you'd crank them open. And if you started to fall asleep, the professor would either throw something at you and say, stand up, or he would say, stand up, you know, go, go to the back of the room. Well, Muddy's in the back standing. He gets too close to the window. Next thing we know, we hear like, boom, we look, he's out the window. He's like laying on the ground. Professor never missed a beat, never missed a beat. Just said, all right, problem two. You know, and we're like, you know, sir, sir. He's got a broken neck. Yeah, I know. I know he just fell out the window, but that's where he belongs. Next, you know, and that's kind of like, that's, you know, I kind of think about meditation. You know, those thoughts have come back to me during my 20 minute sessions. So, um, but um, but you know I'm just I'm I'm happy to have a guy that's utilizing this skill to not only tell the people a story about what he experienced, but also to kind of help others. I'm sure, sure, yeah. I'm sure he's helping others. We'll, we'll, you know? we'll see how it ages. You know what yeah. we have never really talked about on here? Yeah, is like the service, the the years after West Point, and yeah. like where you went and everything. So yeah. it, my understanding is it was like, what, like six years, maybe? Something like that? I had close to nine, believe it or not. No shit, it was that uh, long. Believe it or not, I had close to nine, and I had um, I had some significant periods of training, obviously training, um, which, is, which is cool. Um, and I had something called a branch transfer, which is one of the coolest things, because you get to experience... Um, you get to experience a couple different missions that the that the army has, but yet you're really not um, you're not changing you're not changing your life. You know, mm. you're not moving, you're not leaving a certain area, but you're basically going from hey, I used to be not used to be because that's I used to my mission was to fire huge you know cannons at the enemy, and now. I'm thinking I'm the guy now that cleans up the mess after you fire those cannons or mm. does a little bit more, right? And so the whole piece of my training that led to my operational skills all had to do, as we talked about before, interrogation work, right? So um, Intel, the Army Civil, of, Civil Affairs Division is basically the special operations uh, intelligence gathering branch organization right so um and you you immediately are teamed with folks that were the guys i looked up to that i became later so your cia guys your mm. fbi guys um you know your 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 delta guy or two your ranger regiment guy or two so it kind of was a team very small level teams con concentrating on you know I mean, counter surveillance, counterintelligence. Where were you stationed? So the 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 homestead is is in Fort Bragg, North mm -hmm. Carolina. But you know, you're you're basically you're you're rarely at Fort Bragg. You're being sent. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. you're gone. Not long missions. Now now they're more under like even civil affairs now does something called the nine eighteen nine. So they're deployed for nine. Doesn't mean they're in the same spot. You could be deployed for nine just away, mm -hmm. right? And then you're flying around. Then eighteen months home where you're basically taking and digesting and analyzing all the information you gathered and providing it to operational units, and then nine more deployed. That was not the way mm. in my day. So it might have been uh, nine days away, one day home, 
three months away. Wow. You know, Where'd two you months go? home. My I, my focus was was pretty much South America and Africa. Mm. So, um, and then the training was was really good. So the training portion of it was. Um, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Yeah, this is like because you graduated eighty six. I graduated eighty six. Spent three years in the artillery. So not deployed. Not um, short deployments. Operational deployments. Including South America? No, not when I was an artilleryman. Okay. No. South no. America was interesting in the 80s <laughs> with the U.S. It's interesting in the 90s mm. and the 2000s hmm. and today. Um, so, and then separated by a master's degree in South Carolina. So, um, the Army sent me for my master's. So oh, got it, got it, got yeah. it, got it. Got it. Okay. So, so, but uh, at the same time, there was a lot of mission-friendly work uh, there. You're practicing your skills. Like, I I don't know. I guess let's just say, hypothetically, you were uh, a boss in the FBI who hosted a, a civil affairs team to learn counterintelligence in a large city in the Northeast. That's shit you would do, right? So that's cool. That, that was some of my favorite work was actually, and I do it to this day for clients. It's the same thing. Counter, you know. If I counter surveil you, I basically am teaching you how to live a different lifestyle, how to do something different, you know, not be the same pattern guy who mm. comes in, you know, um, puts his kid in the car the same way. Every yeah, day. this is what Andy Bustamante was talking a yeah. lot about. He he went through that guy's a galaxy brain. I mean, he yeah, he dude, he's, he's a special smart. guy. Yeah, yeah he, in a lot of ways, he broke down the different like. He was talking about the patterns of what was it called? Someone's lifestyle. patterns of life, yeah, lifestyle. or something. Yeah, lifestyle. and, and yeah. so he would explain how, from a spying perspective, all they would need was the smallest derivation and like things that me, well, not you, but someone like me, we'd never look for that. But the smallest derivation says that's outside the realm of normal. They could spot someone. He's like. There, he explained one thing. He's like, there's seven and a half billion people, whatever there is in the world. Like the movie Schindler's List. Yep. There's only one red dress, the little girl in the red dress, right? That's what we're looking for. So he goes, we can immediately eliminate seven billion of those seven and a half. And now we're looking in that 500 million, and we're looking at those people to find the smallest derivations, and then boom, we got them. And then you exploit it. Yeah. Drive it through and exploit it. So similar, you know, that's kind of, we're, we're coming up in the same... You start as the same training person, and then you kind of branch out into the things that make sense for your specialty, whether it be under uh, presidential orders or whether it be under, um, you know, JSOC orders, whether it be under Pentagon orders, whatever that might be. And so my life kind of continued on that same path, but just in a I guess in the in in a mentoring role because I always looked up to those guys who were bureau guys, or CIA or agency guys or Delta guys. When I was a young captain, you know, serving in the Civil Affairs Unit, I was like, well, I got there's a lot, and there is a lot to learn. I mean, they they'll teach you everything you need to know and like that, and make mistakes, and it's like your best coach in sports, right? You're thinking your best high school coach was the guy who let you make the mistake twenty times and then said, okay. Here's the way I'm going to destroy you for making that mistake. You'll never make that mistake again once right. you know that. Same thing. So um, that was most of my time. And then 
when you were, I tra- you were in the field though too, right? Like you were out yeah, there going it, it, over the shoulder, yes, doing the damn thing. Y- yes, definitely. But but more of mine was utilizing those skills, which are innate. Yes. You know, all of us that come out of West Point have those skills. Using those skills in order to gain, not gain. That's a bad. Um, in order to accomplish your objective, whatever that objective might be in your world, different, different for me than it is. I take my buddy Stan, who was a logistics officer, who was then assigned to ExxonMobil in the 90s, who then would transition, similar to me, transition to a company. So you can, you know, my company's a little different, right? His company trades. My company didn't trade uh, Mm. on the market. But, you know, he was kind of part of that, um, I guess, career path process. So you're saying there was a... Yeah, yeah so there's a you know he's going off to he just he just he's retiring so god bless you stan you know how much i love you and he's retiring going off to um we're trying to buy places in the same spot in florida we will and he's going off here with a ton of stock options i'm going up here with just a shitload of options mm. so i look at it right mm. so um but it's the same pattern and somebody just asked me yesterday do you ever think about did you ever think about staying in i was like yeah Definitely. Yeah. Why did you? I kind of did, did though, and I always answer that I kind of did. In my mind, I did. Well, nine years—that's not too many. And I took that and I transitioned it over to the bureau's pension program, right? So, in my mind, I I did. In my mind, I did. You know, once they there was like this touchy day at Quantico where they were like, "Okay, here's the deal. You know, you were in, so you have to." Uh, you know, they're telling each individual different information. Like what you did here, you need to sign off and resign your commission in the reserves because you can't do what you were doing and mm. do what you're doing here. So, like I, I checked it all out. I'm like, okay, but I get, I get all this time back. And then the person said, not only that, but we'll give you your West Point time. Oh, so you still had some? You were in the reserves when you no. left. No, I I Did couldn't. I, totally I had that I had to resign my commission. From yeah, the so they were saying you had to do that. Correct. Got it. So Got it. you know, so I gladly did that because I was able to say, oh wait a minute, so you're going to give me all that active duty time, that nine nine and a half plus West Point. What do you mean? Give it. They to gave you? me four. They gave me thirteen and a half years seniority on day one in the bureau. Oh, oh, they, tra- oh, they like transferred the credit to the bureau itself. So I was like, oh, wait a shit. minute. So I, I remember, I remember like now thinking, this, now your career makes more sense. So I was thinking to myself, like, I remember thinking, well, wait a minute, like, did I, did I just screw that? Like, did I just sign? T-? I couldn't put it together. And then I wound up making a phone call to a couple of guys who I trusted. And they were like, no, dude, you did, you did great. Like, that's the way to go, you know? And then it just, it was seamless. And so there's this whole, the big thing, believe it or not, like, you know, money, obviously you don't do those careers for money, you know? And I think that's kind of why I, every once in a while I get that, like, fuck these guys that you yeah. know make a lot of money, you know, because I didn't, but, <laughs> um, but I got so much better stories, but at the end of the day, not in their mind, but in my mind, but, um, you know, you kind of think about all of the time that you have in and whether it's of value to you when you look at it on paper and it was it made sense. i got a 33 year retirement package at but 50 also, at 54 years old but also you're walking into the bureau with a huge dick day huge one. you know you've got the big thing is the money's one thing but the big thing is your leave time what do you mean so you accumulate 
hours of leave for each pay period in the bureau. Oh. So the army's different. The army's thirty days a year, and and uh, you'd have to take that that Saturdays and Sundays and everything. So you get thirty days a year, which is nice. It, it truly is. I mean, it's four weeks plus, right? The bureau, when you're a brand new agent, you know, hey, how you doing? Whatever, um, you get four hours per pay period it's not until you have 15 years that you get a full day per pay period mm. so i within a year and a half you had it so i was you know i was gathering 26 days a year plus 10 to 15 sick sick days plus you know temporary duty days so i just saved those all up at the end of the time and when i retired I, I couldn't really take leave. I mean, honestly, I, I just didn't have the time. I'd always have either something going on or whatever. Retired, I got like a massive leave check, which made me feel pretty good, right? I mean, that was good. That was good stuff. So the advice was great and, and kind of I I kind of stepped into it, but I felt like I did really well on that front. So that was always protected for me. And then um, and then doing what I love to do, I I. I think I've said this before. There was probably five or six days in my career across the board, both careers, both years, 33 years, that I was like, fuck, this sucks. You know, and all that was was basically me. It wasn't them. It was me. Or like a boss. I had one boss that I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's a boob. And I felt bad for him. Mm. And I tried to talk to him and say, like, ah, no, man, I would, you know, be careful about that. You know, don't, all right, what am I going to do? And so then I just immediately would ask for a transfer, you know, like, hey, whenever you get ready. And they, they were glad to give it to you because they just wanted a guy like me the hell out, you know, of their area because I was causing too many issues and problems. In their mind. I wasn't, but in their mind, oh, you're going to make me work. Oh, you know, oh, shit, I can't do my crossword. You know, I can't, I can't go to Dunkin' Donuts six times today. You know, okay, let me leave so you can do that stuff. I know it's important to you. Um, so that, that was kind of my career path with, with stops internationally uh both operationally um active and training active so you may be in costa rica on a mission or you may be in costa rica doing training or mm -hmm. you may be in venezuela you know you may be in um i mean someplace in africa training but you may be there actually doing a mission and never and, and hence the one piece that you and I share back and forth on my writings, there's times when, you know, you let down for just a split second and, and it could come back and chop you across the neck, right? So so that's kind of the way I've led my thought process throughout my career, you know, is just kind of separating. Obviously, I'm, I'm always careful bringing this up, like when you, when you start go to a place like that and and i don't think we've really even touched any of this on the podcast so you know you stop at the start or wherever you want to but you know how much these days all these years later outside of maybe some experiences when you literally are writing some fictionalized accounts that are very parallel to exactly some things like how much do you still relive the the worst you know the the your your brother's dying next to you uh <clears throat> less and less that's good but uh which is really good and i attribute that to my wife um we've talked about that before and yeah. um less and less and i think it's all your perspective 
of how you look at it. Um, and I kind of, this is going to sound really weird, but I truly do believe this. Um, if, you know, if not me, then who, uh, mm. if I was there, I was supposed to be there and I should have been there for those people. Right. On both sides, on both fronts. What do you mean on both fronts? On both fronts, whether it be, you know, watching it happen to somebody I love or making it happen to somebody I didn't. Um, so I think war is, you know, war is, is hell, right? War is hell. But I think I've said this to you before, more of my craziness came later, um, in the, in the jobs that I did later. How do you define, like when you say craziness, cause I, like I'm crazy, out of control. that can mean a lot of things. Just, just out of, out of control. So let's, you know, if we, we could go back to what we were talking about with your training, with the training at West Point, right? And how it's very regimented and you're really not leaving any any stone uncovered, unturned. And then something happens. Hence boxing class before calculus. Mm. You know, so all of a sudden, and it happens, it happens on other levels day to day to all of us. It's just, I think that we're appreciative of being able to transition out of it quicker because of our our perspective now. And I say our, I mean my my wife, you know, Sheila and I, right? <laughs> so um, I don't know if I've ever really talked about this, but hypervigilance and how terrible it is, and it's and you can if you're astute at, at reading people, very much so, and um, you would. You know, you could do the job I did easily, probably better. And you can see it in each other. You, I can spot a PTS or whether it's at a Panera or on the beach. I can spot mm. it in two seconds. I have been in places eating lunch at home, and I've had somebody come up and say, are you okay? <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty evident, but what, not, what things that hasn't happened for? a long time. What things are you looking oh, you can for? Just, it's that? the hype it's the hypervigilance piece. So picture um picture your routine, whatever your routine is out there. You know, whatever you do in the morning. You know, I I, I have a habit of um usually putting the coffee pot on, taking the dog outside. It's early, it's mostly dark when I take the dog outside. Um, you know, kind of looking around and then, you know, getting in, getting ready for my workout, whatever I do or, or going and doing my thing. So that's, that's a really healing piece for me now. I could smell the ocean breeze. I live close enough. I'm so lucky to live close enough to the ocean. Picture that being a disaster. So in other words, I come outside and I hear a whiz of a gunshot go over my head and I see a car like pulling into my driveway and they're looking to hurt me and I hear shit and I am looking in. I can't get out of that. I can't get out of that sense. Now it's not, none of it's happening. It's not happening, but you to me that. it's happening. You hear that sometimes. Yeah. That's hypervigilance. So there's guys that can't get themselves out of it. There's girls that can't get themselves out of it. Is that like a, I would imagine that's some sort of a hallucination. Definitely. But it comes with the real sounds and smells. And that's smells, the weird that's part. That's the creepy thing. Yeah. That's the weird part. You know, and I've relayed. So I think what I'm saying to, to people out there, if there's vets or, or others, and PTS does not come because you're a combat veteran or you're an FBI sure. agent. It can come from witnessing something as, or experiencing something as, you know, normal, but not to you. 
right? So you can't rationalize rational thought. That's okay. Like you're still experiencing that stuff. Yeah. I don't mean to laugh. That, that That's not me laughing. I'm just, that's my nerves. But, you know, you, you've got to seek the ability to kind of get yourself on the right path because hypervigilance is a terrible way to live and it's causing a lot of issues. It's causing people to take their own lives because they can't get out of it. When you were getting at the your role on either end of the spectrum there, whether yeah. it was taking out the targets who weren't such good people or, you know, your own falling. Anyone I've ever really heard talk on this or that I've talked with personally, there's always, like, I don't know if it's an element of the PTS versus a, a symptom of it as mm -hmm. well, but there's, like, the survivor's guilt thing. 100, 100%. Do you still... Oh, that's the big part of it. That's mm. the hardest part to get through. And what's helped me there is, you know, I, I thought about there was one morning, there was one morning I opened the garage door. I jumped in my FBI car to go to work and Chilo came running out like the side door. He said, where are you going? What are you doing? So I'm like, oh, I'm going to work. You didn't kiss me. Mm. And so I was like, oh, all right. And that had happened 500,000 times in my first marriage. You know, it just wasn't yeah. part of the deal, right? So she said, don't ever do that, you know. Oh, yeah, you told this one. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that's the that's kind of... Because of her expert, by the way. Yeah, her, her deal with 9-11, right? Yeah, so whatever died. happened, happened, and, and it didn't happen the way she, she maybe wished it happened, sure. whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, it just comes down to being able to kind of get yourself on a level playing field on, you know, get yourself as even keeled as you can, you know, and meditation has helped me, like I said, and I've tried a lot of different things, a lot of different things. I think just taking care of yourself, being kind to yourself helps you get to that level and then try to take it down a notch or two. You know, it's, it's kind of like the feeling is, different it's just a different feeling and it causes I, I was thinking it came back to me the other night i don't know how many people I, i'm sure there's a boatload of people in the audience that watched that show ozark sure. and there was an episode the other night where uh the main character um i think it's was it justin bateman or jason bateman, jason yeah. bateman whatever he is a nor like just an easygoing like straight dude right that an accountant type and but he loses his mind and he winds up beating the living shit out of a guy on the road because they weren't merging properly at, you know, kind of a detour. And he just kept going and I and it it took me back. I was like, man, that's his form of PTS was through the experiences in the show that you watch, which is pretty well done. You know, it's a little far fetched, a little jump the sharkish, but but that's kind of that's the sensation that you can't control. I think I told you the story. Um, I hadn't had anything really, anything that bothered me. And then during my separation between meeting Sheila and ending my marriage, uh, I was at a place and, uh, a man pushed his girlfriend. And the next thing I remember, I don't think you told this. Yeah. A man pushed his girlfriend and it was like, I saw it from across the, the restaurant, across the bar. And I wasn't drinking. I mean, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't. You know, I was not a big, not a huge drinker. Um, but next thing you know, I'm my one of my one of my buddies 
who happened to be in the responding police department, he is like, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm, I'm looking and I'm like, oh my God. And I look and the guy's destroyed. <laughs> and I have no recollection. And I said that. I said, I'm not trying to get at anything, honestly. Um, but something he pushed, I think he pushed his girlfriend, knocked her glasses off. Is that PTS or is that training, though? No, because you, this was, this you was were trained pure, to protect. Because I had seen some of that yeah. in places that I had been. Yes. And it, it started with a push of a woman and then it opened up into something different. Yes. And that must have been. Yeah, training was there, but there was no. Normally, with my training piece, like I'm going to be on top of that. I'm going to be able to stop at a point that's not going to cause. You know, you can kind of. I guess there's levels. You know, sure. I had no level, and and fortunately, the guy was a really good guy, and he's like, I fucked up. I shouldn't have pushed her, but man, I gave him a beating, and uh, we're friends. Really? Yeah, actually, talked to him not a lot, but. He'll text me for holidays and no thanks shit. for helping me. And he's thanking me. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, thanks for helping me. <laughs> Just beat the fucking shit yeah, out of Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't even know how many or what I did, but it reminded me of that Jason Bateman kind of scene. And that happens. So I think that's, it's part of it is the fight, you know, the fight or flight piece that kicks in. But you have to, you're in society now. You're going to Starbucks in the morning. You're not going to side of a road somewhere looking to, jump into a clearer room with potential bad people in there. So I think that's, um, and there's guys suffering all guys and girls suffering all over the place and you could see it. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to help, but you gotta be careful. Look what happened to, you know, Chris Kyle, you know, I mean, that's a PTS. Oh yeah. Killed yeah him, he you was, know. Ki- he was killed by yeah, that guy. Killed trying to help a guy. Right. So, and I've experienced it. You never seen know. It. You never know. People are, people are suffering and they're on medication and they're, there's different things, and, and you know, mental health is a huge problem. You know, and, and the PTS community is a huge problem across the board. Law enforcement, military, people, people in general. Do you think that coming home and basically right away going hardcore into the FBI as you did was, in hindsight, some of it putting a bandaid on a bullet wound? Because yeah. you kept, it's like, okay, well, I had to leave Somalia or wherever the fuck where this crazy shit's going on, but I'm going to find the craziest thing I can at home. In this case, the FBI working the most nutso cases, including stuff internationally, and I'm just going to sink myself into it and we'll, we'll roll with the punches here. No, no doubt. It's, it's, um, it's a self-destructive kind of behavior that comes with the hypervigilance, mm. you know, taking chances. It doesn't matter what the chance is. It might be just going, speeding up through a red light, you know, but taking chances. It could be at any level. Um, my big thing, I enjoyed I enjoyed just kind of going down to the beach and, you know, after dark and going in the water. That's self-destructive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying there's huge, you know, sharks swimming around Bayhead, but. Yeah, there could be. There could be. And that was They're okay. They're preppy too. And that was okay. They're they very wear preppy. vineyard vines. Very, very preppy. Yeah. yeah they have, uh, they actually wear, they wear shirts with old golfers. <laughs> um, we wear shirts. Um, but as the great joke about that, but I can't really tell it. Um, okay. But um, why I think the, that's why what kind of, and water was one thing, you know, uh, maybe, you know, taking some chances with 
other things, you know, saying stuff or, 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 you know, trying to put yourself in a position where you might get, you know, hurt or, or something bad happened. Wait, you know? that doesn't answer my question. Yeah. What, what, why did you feel like after the, the, dark you had to go into the well, water? Well, I knew the reputation of the war. Like I knew, Hey, there, there's possible, this is scary. Oh, you so wanted to like touch if, the coffee pot and when yeah, it got hot. See what happens, you know, see what happens. But that's the, that I recognized that and said, Oh my God. And there's a couple instances that woke me up to that. Like, Oh shit. All right. I'm, I'm going down a bad path. And then, then I meet Sheila and things start to get better. Way, way later, way later, way later, yeah, but yeah. things start to get better. Um, but I mean, I think there's, there's examples of that through everyone's life. And, and I was, I was taking chances that could have backfired in many different ways, you mm -hmm. know, many different ways. And, and you got to really, thank God I had a, I had a very dear friend with the Bureau who, who just wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, he's like, no, man, you need, we need to get this straight, you know? And he, uh, he physically brought me to a counselor, to a therapist, you know, and because he was been, seeing been signs great. on the job. Yeah, he yeah. was like, "What's going on?" You know, and he was a guy who had some some of those experiences in his life, and he just knew. He's like, "Well, what are you doing? You know, you're trying to really screw this up." And so um, that's good that you had that. Yeah, I, it was great to have that guy, and, and not everybody has that. And I was fortunate, and and I, you know, I would say at this point. Once in a blue moon, I'll get like a, damn, thank God. You know, I could have really put myself in a pickle on that situation. The old stuff, um, there's a couple of things. Dates from time to time, I'll I'll wake up and I'll be like, it's that day mm. kind of thing. And I'll be shit, you know, but I'll, but I'll work through it so that I bring out a fond memory of that person or that event or something. You know, John's, Johnny McHugh's date is next week. It's next Wednesday. So he's, you know, he's dead 12 years next Wednesday. Yeah. And so. And that wasn't even one you were. Yeah. But that's your buddy. That's my buddy. Right. Yeah. So I'll think about that in, and think about a fun time. Like think about, you know, when we were kids and we were playing wiffle ball or think about something and that, and that helps get through it. But those, I'm through it much quicker um, in everything, in every part of that disease mm. you know it, that disease could cause mood shifts it could cause you to 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 lock down and not say anything it cause you to kind of go away in your own spot they, you know it's basically disconnect is worse than anything else that's the yeah. part of it because you you remove yourself from your life you don't feel human and so then a lot of the va solution is to pop the pills and then that makes it even worse that's so makes society's problem worse. now too. Like in it general, is. just throwing pills it, at the it problem. It is. I mean, it is, and you know, it doesn't. It doesn't help move it forward in any way. So I, I've kind of, I've kind of looked at things and said, okay, I'm going to come up with a nice memory. Like I'm, we're having a very small golf outing on Monday with guys and girls that remember John. Mm. So with Johnny Mac, I love it, but we've lost the personal touch, you know, and we've lost the ability. We've priced out people. Mm. people can't play people can't spend thirty five hundred dollars to play golf right that's not accessible. we're friends yeah right um but they could spend 80 yeah. <laughs> which is what we're doing on monday and we're doing a couple of stale buns and bagels and you come out you swing the club for four hours and then we sit around everybody's gonna tell a story it's it's 28 of us we're gonna that's tell a cool. story about john and then toast him and say god bless and move on right so 
I think that'll help a lot of people who have been that's been suppressed for them because since Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund started, they haven't been able to afford. Really, I mean, it's like off the charts. Yeah, I mean, it's a serious. But for eighty dollars, they're fired up. Like I've never seen people so fired up to play a shitty golf course in my life, you know. <laughs> but it'll be fun, and we'll have a blast. And it'll be all people that knew him that played American Legion with him, or played basketball with him, or were, were you know, was his dentist, you know, stuff that they've the first year we were all together. Then it went away. So I think those are the kinds of things that help me to reconcile the feelings of damn, you know, poor me kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's easy to fall down that trap too, but it's it is it's great that there was somebody there, like you said, at the FBI who had at least somewhat of your background and knew what to look for and yeah. and and got you to recognize that because I do think about that, and even I I never even knew, for example, that you came in with thirteen and a half years superiority, but yeah. now, now it does make sense. Like you know, you just went full high octane and. Something I was excited to talk about with you that I've been afraid to in the past, but now I feel really good about it, was the undercover work. And I say this because you can't give details of, like, who, what, and where, and we're not going to do that. And, like, if you go to slip on something, of course, I'll bleep that out and take that out. So just be forewarned on that. Yeah. But I had Andy Bustamante in here who was a CIA undercover spy internationally doing crazy shit, and – He's same deal. He can't say where yeah, and of course. exactly what and all that. But I had a chance to get like he's had to answer that stuff a lot on podcasts before. And he has his own podcast where he talks about it, So he's a pro at like kind of taking you there without taking you there. So I wanted to do something similar with you because we've mentioned it in the past. You spent 25 years at the Bureau and roughly, I guess, like nine to 11 years ish. You were on and off undercover. Yeah, I'd say it did a, a lot of cameos and then a couple of big ones, you know, which once you become um, comfortable, it's it, – listen, it's similar to what we went through with podcast. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Once you become you comfortable, it, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you can talk about it and you can do it and, and people trust you, you know, hey, okay, this is a go-to guy that we can do. When, when you say cameos – Maybe, shorties. maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe, shorties, like, maybe here's a good way to go about it. Yeah. Can you explain the Bureau's levels of undercover? So when you were saying cameos, that's one that could be you go undercover for one day posing as somebody versus the longer ones were where you were three years or something yeah. like that. You can make a cameo could be a phone call, mm. you know, trying to find simple. out the scheme yeah. all the way up to. Hey, I'm a recurring character. Like, think of a think of a series, you know, like yeah. a like a comedy, you know. Uh, oh, oh, I love when that guy comes on. You know, mm. you could do that. So you could be, you know, oh, here he comes. You know, whatever whatever the role is, it could be a fishing boat captain that you know entertains all the corrupt politicians down in the Bahamas, <laughs> you know, or it could be, hey, I got to find out what the scheme is on this. I'll call um, all the way up to trying fully immersed in a role. That takes time to establish. Um, How quickly did you realize you wanted to do that? I didn't. I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't want to do it. I just knew that when I was convinced of the first one, I just knew I was the only guy that I believed I was the only guy that could make a difference and do it. It seems to me, and I might be wrong about this, this is just always the vibe I got. You did most of this work in the front half of your career. All of it. All of it. So All of it. at Quantico, when you first went there, is that when the first seed was dropped on you like Jim? In the military. Do- 
in the military. In the military, yeah, 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 about. yeah, 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 yes, yes, hundred percent. So when I got there to Quantico, it was kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like known, and we won't talk about the details of how, but um, through mutual friends, West Point friends that were in the bureau. Meaning you had made some cameos. Yeah, we had done some stuff and in the military, and it just kind of carried over. And and there were times I didn't talk to friends, my West Point friends, for a couple years at a time mm. because I was so worried that somehow or some way I'd put them in danger. So I think it started in the military, and then I really, I really got serious about doing it because I saw that there was an impact to be made and it needed to be made. But I... The one, the only regret I have about doing the work is losing time with really good friends over the course of time, especially like the long term. Yes, yeah. yes. So, but I realized the importance of the role and the importance of the case, quote unquote. What was the longest you were ever under? Meaning out of town, no one knows where you are, what you're doing. Fourteen, fourteen months. Holy shit! But but it, with with visits, with with time in between, but very specific as to nobody really there's one one or two guys that know about that and what's it like with your family Ta very difficult but then you, can't you start tell them. but then you start to live the life right so you gotta be careful you know you gotta be careful of how that goes and what goes down and i was fortunate the first one my kids were babies literally so i didn't miss any time i i, I think about that now i think about if you are looking to search the web privately and not have all these websites track you when you leave, check out my friends over at Privato VPN. Privato is the VPN company that gives you full privacy while losing you no speed, and you can use it on up to 10 different devices at one time, which is a beautiful thing. If you have multiple devices, you get the same product everywhere, and you pay for it once. So if you hit that link in my description, you will see my landing page with the site at Privato, and you'll see a plan there for $4.99 a month. It is the same one I use. It gives you all the things I just told you and more, so check it out. You're going to love it. Uh, with this grandkid, like I think about time missed, but my kids don't have any of that. They don't have that sensation. That's good. They don't even... I think if you put a gun to their head, they would be like, nah, I, he was there. You did it at the right time. I think so. Yeah. I, I truly do believe that. I mean, there were, there were times when I was, you know, four months away or whatever, but they under, th there was an explanation for that. Oh, dad's got to, you know, and then I would see them maybe every three weeks for a weekend, you know, so. How hard is that though to get hard. away? Listen, I, there, was, story. there were times, I can tell you, I, there were times I, w I woke up the morning of the start of it. And said, I ain't fucking doing this because I ain't leaving my kids. And how, all right, so how. But I did it. How long, like that 14 month one, for yeah. example, where it's 14 straight. Two questions. First one's easy. Approximately how many times did you get to visit your family over that? I would park? say, I would say at least monthly. Okay. At least monthly. At least ever. monthly. Sometimes more. For a day or two? Yeah. Or extend it. You know, because you always have a story on the other side, right? Well, I gotta go. Oh, you want that? All right, I'll go get. I'll go get that. You know, I'm gonna yeah, wait. Don't call. Don't go, you know. And then you come back with it because you you stop by the lab. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get it. Yeah, you pick right, it up. Okay. Right. So you're you're always, which is kind of if you think about it, that's counterintuitive too. What 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 bad guy always comes up with the shit? Yeah. But I, but it, whatever it's part of the job. I guess whatever you know. I mean. We, you know, you definitely do a good job, kind of making sure you vet the people that you're going against, and they, they're not the smartest dudes in the world, so fucking make it happen. Yeah, 
Now, the the second question is like for something like that. Yeah. How long is the ramp up process before you start? Not long because you're you're introed by a source. No, no, no. I mean the training process. Oh, like no. you had had Natural. experience at West military Point. trained me. Really, military trained me with the counter counter surveillance, counter intelligence, and just being that I had better the bureau. The bureau runs a certification school for undercover that I never had to go to. Really? Yeah, because they I just, just no, well, they were like, the well, they were like, we're not, we don't get any better. We guys like him teach the class. That I didn't know that, and I found out after the fact. Well, all right. Here's another question: Like, what was the longest period of time you were operating undercover when you were in the military? Ball a month. Um, all right. Well, that's not two days. Because they're different objectives. Sure, sure. We we want to put an FBI or a CIA undercover wants to put dude in jail or get him to flip. CIA wants him to flip. FBI probably wants to put him in jail. Or both. Yeah. Either way, right? The military objective. Yeah. Kill him. Yeah. Or do or get him to cooperate. You know what I mean? Interesting. So so it's kind of like a shorter period. I I don't even think I. I I'm I'm lying when I say a month. I I'm I'm don't think it I don't think I ever had a month. A couple still, weeks. I, see this is still different to me this is different because A as you just pointed out the objectives are a little more totally different. Yeah, they're 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 in a different playing field. And your mindset is different because of that. You're also in this case doing it not to say this didn't happen at the FBI but a lot of times it could be a domestic thing too but when you're in the military it's an international thing so you're operating as like more along the CIA lens Correct. there, right? So you're an international American out there doing whatever your cover story is. But the, I'm shocked at that, that the Bureau, I understand obviously your resume was insane and you had done some serious work. But Plus I had cover from guys that, you know, it's like having a dude that's going to introduce you at your confirmation that's going to put you, you know, let's just take it to like a government level. So you have like, four or five guys that you know in the bureau that were in my world before so like for a long time. Through. Yeah. Like, are you like, it'd be like those people that were supposed to certify me would be begging me to do it because of those guys that told them, what are you fucking crazy? This is the only guy to do it. So you, re that's, that is wild to me though, that you would go on. Cause I, and the other thing that I can't say is like, I have the knowledge of, some of these and what you did and how and who it was with and all that. And it's like, you know, I, my thought has always been, I don't know if I ever said this to you, but like you had all the skills This is probably captain obvious statement. You had all the skills to be an amazing actor. Yeah. Oh, like, did you want to be an actor? <laughs> like, I mean, I remember people always saying you should do stand up comedy. I mean, what the fuck? Nobody's going to laugh at my family stories. Not stand up comedy. But I mean, like, like acting. Yeah. I mean, I, I never thought. No, I never. I mean, I thought, well, look at look at look look at but your. That's what it is. Look at your skill sets. Yeah, you had to go undercover with mass murderers and shit. As Leo would well, say, you, you got a mass murderer. Wait. You're right next to him, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're doing all that shit. But then well, you're also an interrogation well, you, expert. Where you got to do what? Well, you're trying to figure out whether or not you got to gain as much information off the guy as you can. And you got to get totally him, make him feel comfortable. Oh, you got to tell him everything he wants to hear. Which is the key to interrogation, right? I mean, minimization is the key. Like, you're telling me you couldn't put on an Oscar-winning performance with a script. I'm telling you you could. Maybe. I don't know. 
It's the highest stakes, I fall asleep, man. though. In the middle of it. <laughs> Shit like, isn't real. What Fuck a great this. scene. <laughs> the Oreo's out again. He just fell asleep again. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you're right. That's what it is. That's really what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's an act and it's an act across the board. It's not just an act. Like, think about it. Like the most I've ever talked about it is right now to you. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've, I've never talked about it. Sheila and Sheila. Right. But I've never talked about it with my ex. I never talked about with my brother. I've never talked about it with. I just uh, it never felt comfortable to share that information, even though they realized they knew you were. On I the don't cover. know. I don't know that they. I, you know, that's a great. I should you ask. Don't them. think your wife. Knew? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I'd have to. I'd have to. What did you tell her you were doing? Inspections. <laughs> honestly, that was the that was the term. A lot of inspections on Tuesday term, night at two a.m. But the term in the bureau is inspection right so an inspection a real inspection well i don't know so there's a there's an arm of the bureau that's the inspection division that handles everything from internal affairs up to and including full inspections of a field office to kind of determine their efficiency mm. and that's a long process so you could be on the inspection team and i could just say oh got another inspection in salt lake Fifth one this week. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nobody knows. Nobody asks. I guess. That's, you know, it's it, so it brings in extra job. money and, you know, there's a, there's a little extra check. Something. Nobody asks. I guess. Like, you know, and then I just never felt comfortable. You know, I had a, I had two guys that I trusted that did the same work as I did that they trusted me and we, we chatted out and it's the same thing as the guy I told you about that. Pulled me aside. You know, he was one of the guys, right? So he pulled me aside. Whoa, 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 what's going on? You know, that kind of thing. So you just kind of realize that, and, and it's empowering too when you have success. It validates what you're doing. You know, like, wow, shit, we really did get that guy or we really did get this person. And rightfully so. You know, there's no, there's no you know, getting back to Esper, right? It's constitutionally right. Sure. Um, Believe in what you're doing. I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm doing it for the right reason. I'm doing it because it needs to be done. Somebody has somebody has to do it. Why not me? What were some of the different ways? Like, how would you infiltrate the various people and or organizations that you would be around? Did you get an intro from a source on the if street? If you needed it. If you needed it, yes. If you needed to get to the point where, wow, this dude's not... He is not budging, whatever. But I rarely did because I, if you want to see my, you know my, you know me well enough. But yeah. if you want to see my undercover abilities, just come to the store. <laughs> come to the store on any day when I'm there. Jimmy's like, Dad, we, uh, everybody wants to talk. Like everybody's trying. Like today, he's like, did you see the guy? He couldn't stop making eye. He wanted to talk to you. It's just like in the way of handling things. Like we talked about. The first time we were together, you know, the the deal, familiarity and and kindness and, and politeness. Yep, yeah. yep. That's access. still. I mean, that's just you know. How would just you find yourself in spots and they're paid for? So you know, all of a sudden you're the dude that has a fishing boat, you know, or you're the dude that has something that everybody wants. And people are stupid. They're they're not they're not money. Money yeah. really does talk. Yes. Money really does talk. How did you know? 
Because it's not like you're sitting there behind a computer and analyzing this or like watching the podcast after you're you're live, like in the spot, just talking with someone. And you could tell right away. You could tell if they're going to be like, how, but fuck yeah, you but or... for the people that didn't though, how did you know? Now's the moment to turn it over to business. Just something that just, I just felt it, and I was just never wrong. It. Yeah, I just kind of was like, "Yep, this is it," you know. And it's 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 similar to you don't chase it, you know. You don't you you don't pace it. You just let it happen. The guys who chase it are not good at it, you know. And it's similar to business. Similar to to what I do for J three, you know, I don't chase it because it just looks cheap if you do, you know. If you chase it, you're looking cheap as opposed to just they always come back. Like I tell every client I talk to when they say, "I don't think we're really gonna need it right now," I say, "Okay, I'll talk to you in two months." <laughs> oh, always, yeah. and I tell you, it's less than two months. But okay, you ready now? Okay, good. Yeah. You know, and I just, I, I used to be like, all right, we got to get the business to this point, and then this way I can hire. Now it's like, not, that's not the case. Do you, do you get, do you get actually into the character though when this is happening? Or in your head, do you, are you also still fully aware I'm Special Agent Jim DiOrio? So, cause I, I asked that cause it's I'm like, Fred, I'm Fred and Jones' son. That's what used to help me. Oh. I'm Fred and Jones' son. Yeah. That's just, so you did it. So there yeah. was something. Yeah, I never thought about the bureau or the army or I'm That's not, I'm not Captain Jim or whatever. I'm Fred and Jones' son, you know. So you were able – that's kind of what I was getting at. You were able to be present in the moment without calculating. So like when you hop on somebody where it's like, oh, now's the moment to go. It's not like in your head you were saying like, when's he going to mention this thing that we studied back at Quantico? Or you were more just like waiting for – the opportunity and then naturally it. you're like oh wait but do you ever like because you said something like you take that shit home with you and stuff so you could without you could without definitely. revealing anything like i know you and i have talked a little bit about i don't know how deep we got into it but like in some of these jobs like you had to do hard drugs and shit like that well you you make your choice right so you you kind of be the guy that does x y or z <laughs> you know what i mean like hey i don't do and you're adamant i don't do that shit. i never did like fucking coke or not, never that really yep i was like a boozer and so you would you like, had no like problem i was like um i'll tell you what what it was like i'm comfortable saying it was like a like a shot of booze a vicodin a shot of booze a vicodin Oh, you would do Vicodin. Yeah, that was the thing. Well, that's some real shit. No, it's real shit, but it was. It I was mean, also, I'd, be, I'd feel better about a, you doing Coke than Vicodin. It was Vicodin. a now because it was a signature. What do you mean it was a signature? It was a, that was my signature. Oh, fucking Jerry's here. But oh, it's Vicodin. Do that. Yeah, but it was half, you know, we our own prescribed. Oh, so you I had would bring fakies. It. I would bring it, yeah. You had some fakies. Now, there was times when, you know, they would bring it and say, oh, fucking here, I got it this week. And you do it. Did you have any trouble weaning off that when you were done? No, not not that, not then. But I had some trouble weaning off it when I hurt my neck. How like years later? Years later. That's very interesting. Yeah, because that it, like you say, it like goes, it's light. So, that's like I if, no. If you had said Percocet, Percocet Vicodin, Valium. If you had that said was below, my thing. I would have said, all right, well, that's not too bad. Versus when you say that, like, that's way higher on my... Yeah. Just, I mean, everyone I know did blow. So, like, that's not... Yeah, I never did not that. A big I, deal I never... Me. I always looked at it... I always looked at prescription drugs in the time I was doing it in the 90s as not being a big deal. Now I know it is. Yeah. 
but so it wasn't it was perspective to me. At, okay. yeah it was perspective then um but that was my thing like a shot three shots and a vicodin you know that was and the guys were oh, fucking great fucking, and even fucking if it, jimmy v funny, funniest <laughs> thing even the fucking even like the fakies like dudes would be like oh i feel old i'm like it's a fucking tic tac <laughs> jerk off you know but so you know you know yeah, you but you know, you know you know you kind of know what you got to do um to just and and to answer your question like how do you know what the time is it's like you just feel like i truly can feel a time to tell a dude a joke or to you know ask about his kid or i, I can feel i that just comes to me you know and and on the opposite side i guess the curse of having that is I also know when to shut down to get people to chase. Mm. And the curse of that is sometimes I do it with the family. Oh. And it's not good. So I'm working on that with my therapist. Stop shutting down and going dark. You don't need to. You're not trying to get anything. What, what are you doing? Well, but my head says, all right, Dario, it's time to shut down. Even you know, though- time to get those people to chase. Because there's always something yes. you want, yes. right? There's always something you want, whatever that is. And so I've really been working hard. That's the curse of being able to go get it from both sides, right? So you can you know the time to, eh, and you know the time to mm, let them chase. That's it's, a powerful piece. It's getting them to yeah. chase. That's a fucking power. Rush. That's everything in life. It's, it's like rush. if you if you te- if you text her ten times, she got you right where you want her. Correct. If you don't answer the text. You're in business. She's going to text you 40 times. Without a doubt. It is true. It's and true. You've got, like you got to be careful everything. with that, though. Well, because you it said. Can affect, it can affect relationships yes. that are very meaningful. Yes. You know, as opposed to just acting, you know. But I learned it so well, and it worked so well, and I always kind of got what I needed out of it that I started doing that. And it turned, it actually, I can tell you that, you know, going dark for me is still something that I have to really work on with friendships, with never be the guy that the only time he calls because he needs something. Yeah. Well, you don't you don't have that problem. I don't, but it's like, it's scary. That's one thing I wake up in the middle of the night to, fuck, did I do, you know, oh, all right, yeah, no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't yeah, you should anything. probably do that more, frankly, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with I you. I probably should, and it's you always that shit. fear of like, uh-oh. Yeah. But I think that's that's the blessing and the curse of even like what what Andy did and how he did it. He'll tell you. I guarantee you it's a, it's a version of it. Is just knowing when to close and then knowing when to shut down to let others close you. You know, it's, and um, you know what it is. It's it. I mean, it just boils down to a pretty obvious point. It's psychological power, of course, right? So this is this is this is an interesting little subtopic here because you are using psychological warfare in situations of being undercover or situations of interrogating like a mass murderer or someone crazy and getting a result because there's a job to be done that human beings i don't think any of us are infallible to this human beings are very very able to fall down the pathway of power and what it grants them because it what does it do it gives them convenience for their life it gives them a degree of being able to control the destiny around them so when you exactly. do all this 24/7 literally like even if you're undercover or not like you're either interrogating people or you know 
getting under people's skin or you're literally undercover. It's got to be pretty impossible to not bring it home and fall back to it to be able to like your your end goal is to make everyone around you happy and sometimes you can mix that with what makes you happy and maybe other people not I, like i think a lot about what matt cox actually said when he was on here you know this is a guy who was let's call it what it what what it is an infamous fraudster he he learned how to pull the wool over literally everyone's eyes lie cheat and steal Figure out the way to do all this stuff. Later worked for the Bureau, though, in prison. Yep. So he's on the good yep. side now. Yep. But he he says, like, even today, and, and I would describe Matt as one of the most frighteningly self-aware people I've ever met. Like, the things he's – my first time meeting him off camera, even on camera, that he was willing to say about what goes on up here. I was like, wow. Like, you really – good for you. Like, you have figured it out. That's that's great. Absolutely. But, like, he, he'll even say that, like, today – this part he did say on the podcast I had with him, like with his girlfriend, she can never win an argument. And he's like, and and this is the the connotation is this is a, this can be this can work against you. This is not an all positive thing at all. But he's like, I'm so trained to go through every possible thing that could be thrown my way ahead of time. Why? Because when I'm walking into a social security office 20 years ago to get a, an illegal number, I needed to know every possible rebuttal, just like a salesman. You know, So whenever something's going to be coming up, it is unfortunately like a second nature in my head to just think of every possible thing she could say. He's and back, like, yeah. even if I don't have the evidence on me, I can beat her every time. He's backstopping himself. Yeah. So like for you. He's backstopping himself. You, it's That's got. an art. It's got to be so hard to to say, you know, I'm going to even the playing field. Yeah. We're not going to do any of that. Let's just talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the minimization piece that I learned a long, 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 probably as a kid, to be honest. That ain't so bad, you know. Don't worry about it. You know, we're gonna do this yeah. or do that, and people just respond to that because they're like, "Oh, this guy really thinks I'm all right. I'm okay. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, it is." <laughs> but, yeah. but I want you to believe that it's not, so that you'll tell me more about it, and then I just know, like, shutting down is the most powerful piece in the world. You know, it's the hardest thing to do because as humans, we want to talk. We want to talk. We want to keep the conversation going. Because it's our own, you know, kind of uh, self-esteem root negative core belief that we're not good enough. So we got to keep it going because if we stop it and they stop it, holy shit, they hate me. But the, it works the exact opposite way. The mm. less you reach out, the less you do, the more, especially when people need to know. Bad people need to know. Just like you said, Matt Cox, he needs to know. Yeah. What's going on? What's happening? And I can tell you in the greatest cases ever made in the Bureau is because guys, bad guys couldn't leave well enough alone. They had to come back and ask one more question. They had to come back and talk about, do you know what this, if we get caught, do you know, to show mm -hmm. how, oh, I'm so fucking crazy. I know if I get caught, I'm going to jail for 30 years, but. I want to tell you so you know what a badass I am. That's always the way it was. So I just wait for that opportunity for them to tell me what a badass they were. Toughness in the face of fear. That's an interesting. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Right. You know what? What did um, peace through strength? Yeah. Peace I, through I, strength. I can't imagine like 
the shit you've and you got a lot of years on me too of experience the shit you've seen of every type of person good too but also you know the worst of the worst yeah. and the amount of stuff you know like when i first met you i just i like to operate off conservative assumptions yeah. with with stuff like worst case scenarios i'm like this guy knows every single thing I've ever done. <laughs> he could read my mind. Just like, okay, who cares? There's no, like, I already don't, I'm a little nuts. Like, I don't really put up any kind of guard. But I'm like, if there's any governor on me whatsoever, there's no point putting it up with this guy because he's going to know. And then the reason I say it's like, when I look at you, I can't imagine living like that is because I guess I figured out in deciding to do this like my talent my thing is talking with people and understanding what's going on and but, do it very well thank you but you know you improve as you do this too and i get you in here i get you right in my ears staring right across from me we don't do any of the zoom shit we, nope. we're fucking talking exactly and i have a lot of episodes where I get somebody in a talkative mood across from me and I ain't got to do shit except study. And you know what? You know what else? Another advantage I have. And I'm sure this was applicable to some things you did in your career, but it's like I have to watch it back on on the video and I got to watch it frame by frame. And then if I go to make little short pieces of content in there, you know how many times I listen to someone say the same thing (laughs) a certain way? Yeah, right. So a very creepy thing that like I don't sleep well with is when I'm talking with and I just try to convince myself I'm not but I don't do a great job when I'm talking with people there are not in there I don't I can't read minds you're crazy if you think you can fucking do that but I'm inside people's heads without trying I see every little twitch that they do just when I'm bullshitting with somebody at a party I know where their insecurities are I know I know it's like an open fucking book and then I'm like I'm a douchebag doing a podcast. What does the FBI interrogator think of every person they meet? <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's the key to being successful is just being in tune with yourself first, your abilities, and to be realistic about what you can and can't do. And I know my my thing is just you chasing – you're going to chase me by the end of this fucking conversation. And I'm going to give you enough – where you're like, I gotta be around that guy. I gotta ask that guy more. He knows something. I gotta figure out what it is. Yeah, because it's a big thing. I mean, it, it comes down to trying to get somebody to tell you something that you never thought, you know, anybody would ever know. I gotta do that as an interrogator. I, if I go at you, yeah, will it be fun? Yeah, we had guys in the office that would just scream and yell at guys, insult them, scream and yell. And at the end of it, I'm like, all right, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you just shut them down. You know, but talk. You know, I know their shitums. I get it. I'm not going to be friends with these guys. Maybe I will. I mean, some of them I have become friends with. But at the end of the day, I just want to make sure we're comfortable enough to be able to discuss the worst day in your life. How do we discuss that? I don't want. I I have one or two things. I I don't ever want anybody to know. You know, but there might come a time when somebody's a little bit better and gets it. You know, and and how do you get it? How do you figure out that point? How do you figure the vulnerability? How do you figure their self their their negative core beliefs is the key to it? Are they a not I'm not good enough. Nobody'll ever love me, you know. I, um I'm always ignored. I'm dismissed. I'm I've been abandoned my whole life. You got to figure that out first. What's making this dude tick? Is this an abandonment issue? So you ask questions about family thinking that you're they're really your thought is 
I really want to know, or their thought is, oh, he really wants to know about what my dad did. My thought is, I want to figure out how fucked up your mother was. <laughs> you know, like, that's really what it comes down to. And I'll get that through normal conversation. That's one of the keys to interrogation is through all the things that we all have, how do I get you to talk about something that you think is very normal that I know immediately, oh, my God, we got a nut. You know, and it's scary on that side too. And I think the other reason I think I was better at it is because I did always have that self-destructive piece. There was a little something there. And that comes from not being good enough in your mind. You know, I was I was 10 years younger, my brother and sister. I always had to prove myself. The silver lining is that is they drove me to be who I am. Mm. You know, I, at the time, I, I, you know, I didn't think so. But now I look back and I thank them, you know. Thank yeah. you for driving me to be who I had to be. Even the unintended stuff. Even the unintended yeah. stuff. You know, even the ability to just talk to people and figure it out. And, and the only people I have trouble with are the people who are more insecure than I actually am. More insecure than you are. That's There's a lot of things in life where people can use their weakness as a strength to get a result, right? And I don't like to overuse the whole, my strength is my weakness thing. It is applicable though. Like it's not, there's people who are like, never do that. There are things where it's like, yeah, it really depends on the situation. And do you think part of that in this case is because when the lights are turned off and you're alone, you do know very well what those insecurities are? I'm more in tuned to my stuff than probably anybody I know more in tuned. Yes. Yes. It's, it, it's a wake up, you know, it's, it's something, it's something that I wake up to often, you know, like, man, even like you said before, I don't ask for anything. Now, part of that is the, it, I think part of that, the large part of that is in the chase, right? Because I think yeah. it, it's worked for me. There's a small part of that, maybe even a little bit bigger part than I want to believe it's just because I'm, ah, what if they fucking say no? You know, what if they say mm, no? Rejection. What do I do? Dismissal is my neg core negative belief is dismissal. What does that come from? That comes from childhood. Yeah. You know, being 10 years younger, right? So 10 years younger and never really taken seriously because that's just the way it is. In an old Italian family with a lot of relatives and with a sister, my sis, I love my sister. She's the best person I know. Uh, you know, she had two kids at 19 years old, 19 and 20. I was eight. Wow. She's 12 years older than me. I mean, my I, my parents actually said, okay, time to step up at eight. <laughs> you but know? at the same time, there Basically, was also your childhood's the... over. We got to take care of your sister and her kids. But at the same time, you're also, it seems to me like what you were describing is there was a a tone of like, all right, run along, Jimmy. We're, we're taking care of this. Yes. Dismissal is, is just that. Okay. You know, and then I, but, but again, I, it's the greatest gift I ever got, but I will get, it does keep circulating back in my life until I kind of realize why it's happening. And, and when I do, it's, it's, you know, I look at it, I always think about it as like a golf, you know, you're, you're hitting the ball, get off the tee. And then all of a sudden you're like, why did that, you know, why did I do it? Well, yeah. because I fucking didn't turn. Yeah. Well, it's natural. You feel it. Well, why are you feeling dismissed? Well, because you fucking allow yourself to feel dismissed. 
period. You know, that, that kid's not doing it on purpose. That person in your life, that family member, your wife isn't doing it on purpose. It's just what they're doing. But you feel like you're being dismissed because they've got something else going on that they need to take care of. Mm. You know, so that's once, you know, dismissal caused me to say, hey, everybody, look, it's me. It's Jim DiOrio. So I'm not just going to go to an ROTC program, which, I, well, by the way, I think I've got buddies. I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm going to fucking go to West Point. Because that's, I'm not going, I'm not going to just be, you know, a normal infantry officer. I'm going to go civil affairs. Prove yourself. Yeah. I'm not going to go in law enforcement. I'm going to be in the FBI. And even today, even today, you know, even today, I'm I'm not going to do, um, I'm not going to do private investigations or following some divorce case. You got to do the serious shit. Yeah. So, so it's like, look at me, look at me, but that works for me and I'm okay with that. But deep down, there is a piece that says, man, I'm not going to ask, you know, Tony Guzzi, Steve Cannon, or Joe DePinto, who are dear friends for work, because what if they say, nah, they're never going to say that. But in my mind, that's kind of the one thing. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't, you know, I haven't said, hey, I think I can help you in this situation or whatever and in a way that I can do it in. But I think that's something that's powerful. It's it's powerful for me. It's worked for me in, in, the, in the interrogation world because the shutting, all of a sudden, I think by accident, I shut down one time because I was like, I can't ask this dude if he did this. Why? I don't know why I thought that. It was like something, you know, something. I can't even remember like the details, but I can remember the interview. Can remember the interrogation, and I just like I kept saying, "Oh my god!" Like if he shuts me down now, I got a lot of people outside the room, and you know, mm. oh my god, like what you him? And then I just shut down, and he came to me. I was like, "Ooh, that's a fucking great strategy." Um, right now, not that I always do it, yeah. I, you know, because sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you got to choke that out to get it and tease it out, you know. But but like for the most part. That work it kind of works, especially if you get in a situation where it's kind of dead, kind of stops. So I think dismissal has served me served me well. I don't like it. I don't like feeling, and we've talked about this before. You know, step parenting the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because you're being dismissed most of the time. You putting yourself right back in that by yeah. accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're being dismissed most of the time. Like, oh, uh oh. Yeah, and then that can trigger some shit. <laughs> yeah. But you're you're aware of that, which is good. I that, I am more aware now, being Sheila's husband, than I ever could have possibly been being Sue's husband. The more that I talk with you, the more I realize why we get along because we do have, we definitely have some similar weaknesses, like that 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 are talked about. That dismissal thing, I fuck with that heavy. I understand exactly what you mean. And the other layer to that, though, is. You have to know the line between having a chip on your shoulder and a boulder on your shoulder. A boulder can crush you. And even when you have success, it it can crush your spirit. Like, I I don't know Michael Jordan. Never met him. I only know what I see. Michael Jordan is the most decorated basketball player to ever play. I, I all respect to LeBron James. I love LeBron. Like, great, great player. I still think Jordan's probably the best, but they're... They're one and one, yeah. right? Michael Jordan is a miserable son of a bitch, it appears. Like, he obviously goes out and has fun and stuff, but he is completely incapable of 
letting letting the sales down like he's so overly competitive to people that like he doesn't that other perspective never seems to come out and i could be wrong because i don't know him but that is that is the vibe i get and it's because michael has a boulder Mm -hmm. and he cannot he has to prove himself to everyone so much it comes out in how he tips caddies right like I'm not fucking tipping you. I had to work. You're going to fucking work. You're caddying for Michael fucking Jordan. Like, it comes out in everything. Everything. And so I do, like, I worry about the guy sometimes because it doesn't make him a bad person. It's no. just like... But it's he, still there, hot and heavy. He doesn't recognize that. Nope. Me, I think, I hope, and people can keep me honest on this that are close to me, but I have a chip on my shoulder from that dismissal stuff you talk about. And it drives me. And there's... When people are dismissive by not even paying attention or taking the time of day, or if they take the time of day and then don't even have the time to come back and tell you to go fuck yourself, I'll respect you if you do that. I'll prove you're, you're wrong. Uh, right, but, but at least you're acknowledging that we're on the same sheet. Right. <laughs> when they don't do that, this thing comes in, right? And I, I don't want to beat you. I want to destroy your will to ever try again. Like if like if you don't do anything to not be on my side, I'm on your side forever. I help yep. people I should never even help. Nope, right? I got like you. I love yep. people. But that dismissiveness has a power to like lock you're you up. done. Yep. You're yep. fucking done. And so seeing you like how you carried this in your career, I'm not sure if you looked at it that way. I don't want to put words in in your mouth, but you know, that prove yourself thing was able to then be transferred into into skills yes right uh, one 100 on that like 100 i just think i needed to be recognized and you're right like my my stone i don't, I don't think i ever had a boulder but i definitely had a stone that mm. could have rolled down and hurt me but the chip is now you know it's 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 silly, but it's there, and I've got to acknowledge it and say, okay, it's there a little bit, and it's it's mostly you know where it lies for me is, um, you know, impacting yourself, not impacting the world. Mm. I'm an impact the world guy. I'm not an impact myself guy. I, I'm confident that if I chose a path that would have led to, um, you know, greater material gains, that I would have achieved that. But they never really meant anything. They've never meant anything. To me, however, I must acknowledge that I hate seeing other people with it from time to time that really haven't accomplished, in my right. mind, anything. Right. You know, and that's wrong because I don't know. They're feeling like they – they're feeling as impactful as I feel. But that's them. It's all relative to – It's all, rel it's all relative know? to how – what you think is important, you know, and, and what's going to get – and it's the dismissal. What's going to get me recognized? W would – in Rumson, would a lot of cash get me recognized? No, no. Middle of the road guy. Yeah, you know, I'd be a middle. I would. Sheila and I would be middle of the road people in Rumson. Maybe not even. We might be on the lower end. But when I'm at the golf club and somebody says, "Oh, that's that's Diorio," you know, he X, Y, or Z did. They look at something. They find something. He was a guy who you know arrested this. All of a sudden, that's my that's my that's my you know resource that's my material goods the intangibles are my material goods mm. i pull in, in a jeep wrangler everybody else pulls in in a you know convertible you know whatever 
You're doing half that on purpose, though. I like, but that's yeah. me. I yeah. mean, I've never been a car guy. I've never been a watch guy. Yep. Right? I just never have. Timex Iron Man was my favorite watch yep. of all time. You know, in my car, this is the greatest car I've ever had. It's got the one-touch roof. It's great. <laughs> I think I think in a way you kind of – that's like part of you <sighs> reminding people a little bit. Because the other thing is guys like you, you know, I think about like military people who go overseas and come back. They got to see some of the shit that people fight over and just be like, what are you doing? You fucking idiot. Yeah, what, <laughs> you what are you know? doing? What are you doing? Like, you know, it's it's perspective and they don't yeah. have that and that's okay. And, and I, I need to, well, I'm much better at it, but just learn that that's okay. It's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's what they know. It's what they feel. It's what they think is the right thing to do. Obviously, they, they believe in what they're doing. So I can't sit there and say, oh, you know. Let me judge you in what you believe in. No, that's your belief. And I be I think my dismissal has caused me to look harder at people to kind of try to realize what their issue, what their negative core belief is. And that helps. And sometimes they'll even thank those people. Like, you know, I could think of a person right now that I thought I, you know, had real big time problem for what he did and how he did it and, you know, what happened in the end. But then I look at that person and, and they're alone. They've got nothing. Mm. And I feel bad. And I think that's when, you're, when you've healed is when you can look at somebody and say, listen, I don't know what your path looked like. I wasn't in the middle of it. My perspective was that it was these three things. But at the end of the day, man, you're sad. Like you're a sad dude and I feel bad. Not that I'm going to help you, but I feel bad. That's the other side of it too because this is the difference with like – grudges and stuff when i was referring to that dramatically a couple minutes ago i mean that as motivation to yeah. where the very rare people turn into that boulder but the way i i the, the thing i deleted from the end by accident there that's very important to say is you get your use you drink the water from that cup and when it's done it really is done like there there are people that i used as motivation two and a half years ago that now i'm like i think that i'm like Oh well, they are a really sad person. You know what? God bless. I hope they. I hope they do better. You do right. M and guys it, like Michael Jordan can't do that. No, they never forget it. No, they can't forget it. You know, and so I, I do believe that that's the ultimate healing piece is when you can look at somebody that you had a big time issue with not that long ago and say, "Man, I, I wish I really do feel bad." When you were going to. Not even just interrogate people, but that's that's the best example. Maybe start to make study people, start to make cases on them even before that. How much of creating the profile was it you trying to get back to their childhood and the environment they came from? It's a piece of it, for sure. Um, I would try to think about what incentivizes this particular person? What is what is the reason that they're acting or doing what they're doing? And a lot of times that would go back to a simple childhood piece, abandonment piece, or um, you know, physical abuse, or a dismissal, or you know, any of those things that are. There's only five or six of them. Really, and then try to build from there and say, okay, now why are they doing what they're doing? 
Why are they trying to move this cause forward? Why are they trying to move this fraud forward? Why are they trying to move this, you know, complex financial situation forward? Who is looking at them differently? Who are they trying to impress? Is there someone that they have to beat? Is there someone that they hold that chip on their shoulder for? What have others said about them? That's a powerful piece. And with the internet now and the dark web, you can find shit that people have said about certain people that you're looking at and say, oh, wait a minute. This is, this could be it. You know, this could be it. And, you know, you talk to a guy like Raj, who you had in here, which was the greatest yeah. interview of all time. And his book is, is you. amazing. You. you know, there's people that said, have said and continue to say shit about that guy not knowing the facts. Yeah. And I think it drives him to kind of put out there, look, so much so that he didn't cooperate. That's that's he exceptional. Handles, he handles you know? it. I, 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 will, I will say this, regardless of what people think on that case or what they think the facts are, or what they don't, he is one of the most classy people I've ever met in my life. And, you know, the guy's worth billions of dollars. Billions of right? dollars. And he, he needs, he, he wants for nothing except... There's something that he wanted for. I have sat, <laughs> you know? because of what I did, yep. I have sat with some insanely wealthy people. Yep. And, you know, some of them aren't great. Others are great people. So I don't want this to be generalized no, and misheard. But to a man, there's a number up in the nine figures where when you are sitting across from this person, there is a thing. There's just a little thing. And a lot of them aren't trying to do it. It's in their eyes where it's like, exactly. I'm me. Exactly. You're and you're you, you. Poor, right? Poor you. None of that yeah. with him. And I was off camera with him for at least three hours yep. that day. He yep. was here the whole day. Not one fucking shred of it. And then when you go through it and everything, I do care a lot about intent. You know, negligence. Well, it's key. It's key. Negligence key. can't be a full excuse with stuff. And and I think all across the hedge fund industry, there was, there was some negligence, especially in that era. But I, I genuinely think he had zero criminal intent. Zero. And so when I look at that, I'm like, wow, here's a guy who has every reason to shut up, throw up his middle fingers and say, fuck you and go into the sunset and enjoy his life. But he has taken the time to raise the issue of like, hey, they fucked me in some ways. I'm worth billions of dollars. I had all the money in the world to fight them. What are they going to do to the guy that has no money? I respect that a lot. So, so do I. And I think the people, his critics are those that wish they could be financially in his position yeah they're shallow motherfuckers mm -hmm. i will say that they're shallow dudes and you know a guy like that that's that's his challenge is to stay away from those those sons of bitches you know what i mean and just to, to and he's he's good at it he's compartmentalized a lot of that very well yeah so i mean i think that's but the, but you're, to answer your question going back that's the kind that's the depth that you have to get to is figure out why people are doing what they're doing. And it could be a little self-destruction, you know, like I talked about on my, myself. I mean, it comes full circle. There could be a little of that or a lot of that, but there's definitely something that is deep inside them that causes them to have to do what they do. So the key to a great interrogator is to, is to have it, is to draw it out in whatever way you can, and then to shut down and let it come to you. Was there ever someone that you I feel like I know the answer to this, but I want to leave it open ended. Were there ever one person or multiple different people over your career who did some bad shit? All right. Like we'll say not like criminal stuff, like bad shit, hurt people the whole nine that 
after doing the job and interrogating them, you had developed through that process such a deep connection and understood where they came from and how they got to the point where it's like hurt people, hurt people and all that to where you had significant empathy for them. Significant? I would say the only time I maybe thought twice about it is if we had a time-sensitive matter that needed to go to another level, and then after the fact or during the fact, knowing that I had to meet a deadline, but after or during, I would think like, fuck, you know, I feel kind of lousy about how that went down. Oh, the actual, okay. Yeah. Okay. But but as far as like thinking about what they were doing, the, the really bad dudes, I, I never... I never thought about it. So there was never, I'm making up a scenario right now, but the dude who robs every bank because his, I know he did plenty of cases like that. So that's an easy one. Like, because he grew up with nothing and, and his stepfather beat the shit out of him. And, you know, his, his brother was abusive to him. His teacher told him to go fuck himself and, basically kicked him out of school for all intents and purposes when he was 15. He was homeless for a long time, was addicted to drugs at one point. In fact, that's when he did the first bank robbery. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no, I, I understand the pattern and I get it, but there's always more to it than that. I, I But I see what you're saying. There, there are scenarios where that's what they're putting off <laughs> to kind of throw you. And I just, my I would put my bullshit meter up against anybody, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, bro, you know, you know what, what? What? What do we need to get to to kind of get past this? Get this admitted, and then move forward. What can you? If if all that shit happened, why don't you? Why don't you help me out with the people that looked the other way during your childhood, and we can go after them. Mm. And that works like a charm. But where not, that's not applicable, that. though, where that's not applicable. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you feel bad? It's just this. It's a situation. Like wow, the first couple times, first couple years. You definitely feel like, oh my God, this is out there. This yeah. is terrible, you know? Um, but then you kind of get to the point where you're like, it doesn't have to be this way, you know? Or um, I guess the I'm not there yet. I'm not evolved enough to think this way. My wife does. But like, well, that was this had to happen. You had to have gone through this to get where you are today, to be able to sit and talk and tell somebody about all these things and maybe that's your healing i'm i'm not there i'm I'm gonna be honest with you i'm 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 closer to it maybe like maybe very small piece of me is closer to it but she that's a big thing for her you know that's a that's a tough thing though it's a tough thing that can go well for me i can't do that because then i start justifying everything and i i got a job to do and and the, the the biggest uh any if there are any regrets it's the time sensitive ones because I didn't have the time to establish good or bad rapport. Rapport is rapport. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad. So you I just didn't need get it. anything out of it. You're saying? Yeah, I mean, I just fucking like cranking people down to to get what we need. Because if we don't have it by this time, we can't disprove some type of fact, you know, or some type of chatter. So, I mean, I always got something out of it because I just improved my skills. So I improved my ability to help people. But rapport is, like I said, rapport is a word that good or bad doesn't matter. You want the, okay, this is interesting. You wanted, you wanted the feeling 
of the process having played out and you having gone through the maze and gotten to the final, to the middle point and figured it out correctly by using every chess move that you like to use. Whereas when you still would get the result in those cases, you didn't like the fact that you didn't get to enjoy the process. And I wasn't always as sure about the result. Well, okay, that's important. I, I, it's not that it wasn't. It's not that it wasn't the result, but I was always like, "Did we go too hard on this side? Did we do something that you know what I mean?" But but going through the process and arguing back and forth and just continuing to hammer one point or whatever my technique, my particular technique would, I would figure out over the course of time. Then and that could be. 15 minutes to three days, you know, eventually I would be like, okay, I got, you know, I'm not letting him waver from X, Y, or Z. He can't, I can't let him do, or, you know, okay, let's do what we got to do. We got to get there, you know, so how do we get there quick? And then I would get it. It would be, even if it was proven, which it always was proven correctly, I'd be like, fuck, like, you know, I wonder, did I miss something? Did I miss a step that, that there could have been, somebody else in between or a buffer or some type of, you know, insulator that I missed because I just didn't have the time. Was the Captain Phillips situation one of these time crunches? No. No? No, that dude, he went, you know, they were like two seconds from... (laughs) Plus he saw his two buddies buddies shit all over the inside of that fucking little dinghy. So that goes pretty quick. What happened? Can you take us through that story? We never talked about that one. That's a a tough one still. That's going to be in the book, but it'll be under different names. Mm. Captain Peters. No, I'm only kidding. Major Peters. Because it is a movie now. No, it's a movie, but it's totally wrong. Really? Yes, 100%. Can you say what... What's wrong? No, because we can't. But I'll tell you off the camera. Okay. What was your role there, though? Just one of the one of the interrogators and a witness to SEAL Team Two. So you got flown over there right away, or um, yeah, within twenty hours. And how long was he a hostage again? Like three days? Like four four and a half days, or right? Yeah, at least. And how far offshore were they? They were out there, like a hundred miles, something like that. Uh, I think the ride was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, it was out there. It was with Rich Frankel. He was a good buddy. It was what? Rich Frankel was with me, too. He's a good dude. Who's that guy? He's like a former SAC in New York. Okay. Good guy. So this was the kind of situation where at you as one of the interrogators at the Bureau of Specialty, they call you in like, Jim, we got a situation. Well, we got to figure out, yeah, we got to kind of figure out um, how we're going to try to, without... We gotta waste some time, right? Until we get the shots. Yeah, what what was the situation? How many guys took over that boat? There were three, four inside with the with the captain. And then we drew out the one dude. Um we we drew the one what the hell, I don't even I can't remember his I don't think I even had his name, but we drew the one guy out onto the ship. And then what we were trying to do is time the SEAL team had their snipes, had their and they had at times they had to put attach them by by lanyard by rope to the boat so that we could time the exact movement so we could control the movement because the shots were different. You would have missed. You couldn't miss. Both guys had to be on these guys. Where was the? I think it was two guys left. Where was the SEAL two guys team out on on our ship? And how close was your ship in proximity? A couple hundred yards. 
So they could see it, obviously. They knew it was there. They could see it, but it was rocking and rolling. No, they didn't know. They didn't know sniper. They just figured we were tying them up so they didn't fucking float away and drown and die. Oh, but they knew the boat was there. They didn't oh, know yeah. snipers were on there. No, they knew the boat was there because it was there. It was it was the the merch, whatever the merch or whatever the whole. Yeah. No, yeah, I I, I, so I got you. But what was, was the like time? Then what was the thing you were talking about shooting while the boat was going up and down? The actual so it, shot. We couldn't. We had to have the same level. We couldn't allow them to just be floating around because we'd never get the ability to to windage the shot, like windage the angles, uh. everything. So once we tied them up to the ship, we knew we'd be in the same. And they didn't pattern. know you were no. tied. Where did you? No, tie they it? knew. They knew because they, they were scared. They that was one of the parts. Like they, you know, nobody could swim or anything else. Like it was bad. So they were nervous. The weather was terrible, and. um we just waited till it rocked perfect, and then. But they knew that the boats were tied together. Oh yeah. How did you do it? Like down below? No, we just did like a hey, you know what? We got to make sure. I forget how like it worked, but he, uh, th- my guy convinced them, hey, you got to let them tie it because if you guys float away, you're gonna go out to sea, and that boat doesn't have any food, doesn't have any water, and you're they dead. were starting to get physical. They were starting to get really physical with him. They were. I mean, the movie shows like I think just a couple of slaps. They were they were cutting them and all kinds of shit. So. And how many crewmen did he have on there? I think there was three. At one point, there was four in the captain. And then two of them jumped off, and we pulled them on. And then it was two in the captain. Uh, and they weren't going to – those guys were the worst of the worst. So they were like, now we're going to kill him. And we got nervous that he was going to kill him. So, you know, that should happen. Still, just in general, though, you're – were you in contact with them? Like, was was that yeah. so? You're on the phone with the Not terrorists. Not me. I wasn't. One of our military guys was. So what were you doing? Talking to the one dude. So you were in contact. I mean, co- well, he was on the ship though. Not talking to the guys in the in the dinghy, in the lifeboat. Right, right, right. So you were talking to the dude in the cockpit with him, who was doing the. Mm-hmm. And this was for, so you were there for like three days then. Something like that. Yeah, it was too long. The the other the only worst thing on a ship was uh, TW eight hundred recovery. Oh shit, that's ninety six. I did not do good on those open Navy warships because there there's no stabilizing. <laughs> it's just rocks. Out. Right. Yeah. So know, I'm terrible. Well, that was that great was... on cruise ships. Anybody wants to take me on a cruise? I'm really good. <laughs> that was another and one. I'm great at karaoke. Because like, la- last time when we did when we did the the two parter, we were getting tuned up and everything. We were hammered in that I second. I have no one. idea what was I don't going even on. know what happened. This you were hilarious, but but we were... that that one was that's a tough one. So just tough to memories. just to recap though, the other one that we were literally like speculating on a little bit because you were at least around it was five eighty seven, which is the one in November two thousand one that crashed in New York, which was where sketchy. the tail where the tail wing fell off or tail and and the the connotation yeah, there is yeah. that the NTSB yeah, fell off. yeah the NTSB report yeah, looked a little too off. clean. What happened? Fell off. You know, but but yeah. the thing is that we've talked about and then other people have talked about it as well. I've seen like in comments and stuff is like. You were telling me this, I think, the first podcast we ever did afterwards when this came up. That's why I brought it up again. But you're like, they literally teach this at aviation school. They teach this crash. And look, because the structural explanation, as fucked up as like it seems, 
comes perfectly so they can be like well don't ever let this happen right so the question was just because the fbi it's a it's a crash investigation you guys leave once it's determined to be that the ntsb has to take over yep so you guys are in the dark and all of you were like something's something's off oh uh, yeah i think it was they said jet blast from the from the um the wake yeah from the 747 that was in front of them it's too close which knocked just, the wing yeah. off and then but the injuries were like you know the injuries in that one were terrible yeah nobody died like it's a broken neck thing that's what people don't understand plane crashes are not burning blast they're broken necks yeah but the the other one why would twa 800 which we can review real quick in 1996 which you were directly on this investigation why on this one did the fbi stay on because it wasn't further out and because they so thought- a mile, so the, it's all jurisdiction. So mm. so if you if you look at if you look at both, I forget the flight number on the one um, we five, had it five eighty seven was no five eighty seven five eighty seven on land no FBI jurisdiction once they determine that it's not terrorist action, which I still don't believe. Um, Sully on the river. Right, double bird blast, no jurisdiction. 800, I'm more than a mile out to sea, it's ours. God, okay, mile that's off, interesting. Anything a mile offshore is ours. doesn't so matter what it is. Just so. basic stuff. I have it behind you just for mm-hmm. people to know what we're talking about. Transworld Airlines Flight 800 was a Boeing 747 that exploded and crashed in the Atlantic Ocean near East Morachase, New York yep. on July 17, 1996 Six. at about 8.30 p.m., yep. 12 minutes after takeoff from John F. Kennedy International Airport. It was scheduled to go to Rome with a stopover in Paris. All 230 people on board died in the crash. It's the third deadliest aviation accident in U.S. history. Bunch of kids, I think, too. Right. Bunch of high schoolers. NTSB traveled to the scene along with you guys. There was speculation that a terrorist attack was the cause of the crash. Consequently, this is where the Federal Bureau of Investigation, New York Police Department Joint Terrorism Task Force initiated parallel, a parallel criminal investigation. 16 months later, the JTTF announced that no evidence of a criminal act had been found and closed in active investigations. Now, on this one, you were in the middle of it. So this one you can actually really speak on. Evident, well, evidence, evidence recovery. You were... Didn't you tell me for this one? We interviewed every yes. 747 certified pilot in the world. Like all the best Center ones. gas tank never blows up. All To a man, they all said it. Can't happen. So they said it had to be shot down. Who do you think shot it down? I think it must have just a little accidental. Well, there's a warship. There was a one of our Navy warships out there. Oh, shit. I mean, if you see that, they just, you know, they've destroyed, oh, they've destroyed the evidence recently. They destroyed the, I think, or they're getting ready to, or they did, I think. And there was like, it was about as clear as, it's like just a hole in the fucking thing. So this was There's a- witnesses that saw like a flame like yeah. shoot up, but yeah. you know, the the opposing side of that, Jim Calstrom said, no, no, no. When, <laughs> when the gas tank blew up, the fire, the flames from the fuel flowed down into the ocean. Like right on an exact, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was like a forty-five degree angle that the gas. The gas was like, I'd like to fall straight down in several blobs, but we're going to fall straight down in the line. 
I didn't know Jim Calstrom had a had a uh, had a major in nuclear science. Yeah, no, or, he, yeah, yeah, he's a big time engineer. Wow, <laughs> engineer. I thought he was. He I thought he was working his time up. <laughs> engineered his own publicity. Oh um, my but God. yeah, so that was always confusing. So you, that seems. I truly believe that was shut down. I yeah. truly, truly, truly believe. Well, you talked to every pilot. Yeah, we thought we interviewed every single. I mean, there was a lot of certified seven forty seven guys at the time. I mean, a couple hundred. It was an extensive investigation. I mean, we had hundreds of agents on it. And then we did the recovery from, you know, for the body, the body recovery and all that kind of stuff. And there was this, there's, there's some amazing stories that come around that of, you know, just like with the kids and I, the terrible, mean, terrible. Well, there was like, I think there was like one high school of, I don't know, like 60 kids that were going on that, that um, Rome trip. Like I, it was, I think it was a summer, like a 10 day or like a study abroad for a big time high school in Long Island. Wiped out like an entire class of kids. Brutal. Yeah. It's so terrible. It's, it's like you see things like this and it's like. But it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it just continues to encourage people to think deep state, you know, when they, when they see shit like this and it doesn't make sense, doesn't line up to them. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? There's so, there's so much shit out there that's just unexplained and stays, you know, below the radar long enough where people just kind of forget it and let it go, you know. And, um, I mean, shit, we can go, if we wanted to, we go all the way back to the JFK thing, right? I mean. Well, yeah, that one's kind of obvious. That's just shut down completely. And I, I would not say this about this, about that one. No. But on things like this, where it's an isolated incident, where tragically 230 people die, where there was no intent, and it was your Navy warship, and you guys fucked up, <sighs> this is a slippery slope, man. It's a slippery slope. But this is one where if I were being totally unbiased as a judge in the afterlife of what are the pros and cons here, the cons of the American people in in the wake of a tragedy saying that like the navy should no longer be allowed to operate anywhere because a couple dudes fucked up late at night as tragic as it is i don't ever want to use the words like i understand the cover up here this one it's like i can see where they're coming from now jfk fuck that however way after the fact Let's be honest. If they, if if the CIA came out and admitted that people at their organization were involved in that, the CIA ceases to exist the next day. Doesn't matter if it was sixty years ago. Doesn't matter. They're done. It's it's that secret is too big to put out. But I don't accept the cover up. That's bullshit. Oh, the cover up's terrible. It's bullshit. Involves all kinds of fucking military officers and doctors and everything else. Everything then. The um. The. Sh- the TW-800 is not unprecedented because there was – that Iranian airliner was shot down by a, a U.S. ship, admittedly so. Remember that? No. Yeah, well, I can't think of the – Iranian airliner? Yeah. Remember that thing? It was like – killed like a couple hundred people. Airline shot down U.S. – but again, that's like a – that's on a foreign agent or a, a foreign nation or something. 1988, are you talking yeah. about? Yes. So again, like a lot of implications here, but that's not like 
some dude accidentally on a ship shot down his own country's civilian aircraft. This could have been a mistake where it's like, oh, we thought that was an you know, Iranian. Friend or foe, man. Yeah. Friend or foe. You got to figure that out. Yeah, it's tough. We were the best at friend or foe at West Point. What do you mean? Identifying tanks, friend or foe. That's a whole nother thing, too. I saw like some of the West Point guys trying to teach people like urban warfare when the Ukraine urban. thing, yeah, when the Ukraine thing broke out, and I was reading them like, "There's no way the average person like me understands any of this shit." But thank you for trying. Yeah, <laughs> urban war. Oh yeah, urban warfare. Fucking Christ. nuts. But Jim, this was number one hundred, man. I can't believe it. That's hundred. You're killing it. This is great. We're getting there. So much good shit that you've done. So many people that you've. Uh, exposed to good to good information but at the same time continue to just be heroic in doing this and it's appreciated and it's i can't tell you how many people come up and talk to me about it and are happy about it and you should be proud of what you're doing and i thank you you know i, well, I thank really, you man it's great and i'm i'm honored to be number 100 jeez it was a no-brainer you you have a big fan club around this show who discovered this show through you you've been on here three times now the second time we did a two-part episode but in a lot of ways, you know, I live so day to day with this. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I re- there's not like some grand plan. Like I don't have time or capacity for that. So I take things as they go, but I love being able to look back and see how the pieces kind of fall into place. And in a lot of ways, you're the guy who really legitimized this thing because you weren't someone who had done put yourself out there publicly yet, but your resume is absurd. And so that's, that's all people got to read. And then they're like, oh, my God, how'd you, you get this guy? Well, it's and, my honor to do it with you. So it's well, great. You, you've crushed it every time, even when I drank you under the table last time. Sorry, pal. But Man, <laughs> I'm not good with the scotch. Dude, people like that second episode a lot. And I'm like, great. I was horrified. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even remember I even what talk. I said. I don't remember any of it. But like, no, I, I really, I appreciate you coming on this so uh, much. My, and, anytime. And I, I love coming on and uh, I'll be back, I'm sure. So You will. We'll, we'll we'll keep you. I mean, some people want you like every five episodes. Yeah, like, we I, can't do that. I, I got to keep them wanting more. But, yeah, I got I to gotta babysit Sal, so yeah, can't do that. Yeah, but you sharing everything you have on this show and always having a new perspective, new things to bring to the table from your career and what's going on is like the greatest thing and I'm honored by it and, and I know everyone out there. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. It is my honor, and it's therapeutic for me, and it's helped me more than it's helped uh, anybody else. So, just, well, uh, you're helping me, man. Stuff. I'm trying to help my dream come true here. I'm trying. You, so you, it's coming. You're there. We'll get it. We're not there yet, but I, um, I have definitely never, ever wanted something so fucking bad in my life, and I feel like. You know, there's a lot on me, obviously, day to day. Like, I do all this shit myself, but the one thing I do have is I have been very blessed to have some incredible people come in here and do their thing for give give me three hours of their time. And I, I, you know, the appreciation for that is insane. So the guys, especially someone like you who's been in here a few times and has done it, I, I couldn't do it without you and... You know, I don't I don't know what, what the future holds here. I'm I'm trying. Um but I'ma keep rolling and like, you know. You're gonna make it be, you've so, made it. We're there. We're working on it. We're Absolutely. On it. But thank you, sir. My pleasure. All right, we'll do it again soon. Sounds like a plan. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me.